So does all this. Intent. Flowers. I mean, they were serious now. Quite definitely not. I do this for all the girls I meet on deserted islands. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps covering season two episode six abandoned mike bloom shannon <laughs> or how to say it's like shannon the way this size said this episode yeah exactly uh shannon 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 is dead. No, I think we should be saying Anna Lucia! I know. And shaking Sh- our fists at the air. Shaking our fists at Anna Lucia as Shannon Rutherford finally gets a flashback, only for it to be the final Shannon Rutherford episode of Lost, at least as a, as a yeah, the living fir- The first and final. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maggie Grace gets a flashback, and it is the exit episode for Maggie Grace as well. We've finally arrived at this moment. Our first series regular death since... Boone. Uh, Man, they really just, uh, the Boone and Shannon situation just really didn't work out for Lost so well. Well, I mean, we talked about before. I don't know why I thought, like, maybe it would be different on the rewatch, but uh, no, they just, like, No, Josh, whatever happened, happened 15 years ago. But we we remember this back during the the Boone thing, though, right, where they're like, well, we can't really, like, age them down at all. So you could tell that Shannon might have been existing on borrowed time a bit, lost on location for this episode. Uh, you know, Damon definitely talks about her death faring as sort of use to bringing together the tailies and 815, which we'll certainly get into. I think your mileage may vary as to not necessarily Shannon's death, but how she was utilized in season two. But no matter what, this is a swan song for someone who would probably do well in Black Swan, considering her background. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so we're going to talk about... Shannon's final hour here on Lost. We'll talk about the ramifications moving forward. We'll talk about it in its historical context on Lost Down the Hatch, spoiler-filled Lost Rewatch podcast. Subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already. Postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch for our Apple feed, but we are everywhere you can find us, including Spotify. Very exciting that we are on Spotify now. Uh, please make sure you're getting your feedback into us as well. We've got a robust feedback section uh, every single week. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email address you can also hit us up on twitter i'm at round howard mike is at a mike bloom type and you can tag at post show recaps as well uh, mike let's go forth into the jungle let's talk about uh, I, I don't know if i want to go into the jungle considering what seems to be happening there in this episode. bad things bad things in the jungle this week we we want to go into the jungle with uh, eyes wide open uh not the song uh, and <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's follow the creed. Yeah. Uh, directed by Adam Davidson, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff. It originally aired November 2nd, 2005. This was two weeks after Ooh and Found in the original airing. Uh, and it centers, of course, on Shannon. And the good news about this, Mike, is uh, because we finally have a Shannon flashback, uh, we actually have our last 
actual lost series Bible entry to go wow. over. Today. So we're not just now no. we're not being, you know, so uh so betraying our faith in yes. writing our own Bible entries. Now we're actually going to the letter of the law itself. Yes. Yeah, so this was written uh in the Lost series Bible that was uh sent internally at ABC after the pilot uh Shannon being original uh an original cast member had an entry in this series bible we just have not had the occasion to read it here on the podcast cuz this is her first flashback so this is uh the final official lost series bible entry for down the hatch uh, not written by a member of the down the hatch community uh Ben Martell notes though that the entry lacks capitals there will be wow. no sh- no shouting so if you if you identify a word that requires some shouting uh, Mike, why don't you just point it out as I as I as I read this along? I think it way. should be entirely shouted. Okay, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> All right. no, I think that would very much <laughs> our listeners yeah. would not really enjoy yeah. an entire paragraph being shouted at maximum volume. We right. have our own volume issues to deal with to begin with, with just you and I in our natural cadence of voices. No idea let's what not you're let's about. not add fuel to the fire. No idea what you're talking about. All right, this is what the Lost series Bible wrote about Shannon. While we may perceive her to be little more than a rich bitch. Shannon is considerably more, quote-unquote, complicated. Oh, that's a capital. Yeah, complicated! (laughs) Uh, After too many drunken nights and wrecked sports cars... Whoa. Tell me more about the wrecked sports cars. Her wealthy and incredibly distant mother finally canceled Shannon's credit cards. Resourceful in her own way, Shannon solved her problem by seducing a wealthy man three times her age and convinced him to take her to his home on Australia's Gold Coast, a relationship which ended in disaster, as they all do with Shannon, and the arrival of overprotective Boone to bring her back to captivity. Captivity? Sm- yeah. That's what? a is weird Boone, term. <laughs> does Boone have Shannon like locked in the basement? Like, yeah, is it like, a, is it like a Buffalo Boone situation? <laughs> oh my God, it puts the lotion on the skin. Uh, <laughs> smart, manipulative, and extremely capable of being ruthless in order to get what she wants, Shannon will be a constant catalyst for conflict in her new surroundings until she begins to fall for the one man on the island even less inclined to play nice than she is. Sawyer? What? Yeah, I think we talked about this before. That I guess the original oh, okay, roadmap. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole light sticks thing, right? Yeah, the original roadmap was that Shannon was going to fall for Sawyer. Uh, that really doesn't go anywhere. Uh, she well, does I, obviously fall for Saeed. And I think, uh, and she does fall in his arms later on in this episode. I mean, I think... If she was partnered up with Sawyer, I think that'd be more of like a Bonnie and Clyde thing. I know that's more comparable to Sawyer and Kate, but it would be like two uh, not so morally right people sort of working together. It's interesting, actually, again, going back to the Lost on Location video for this episode, Navy and Andrews credits himself with the Shannon Saeed relationship, saying that he came up with the idea because he basically said, you know, I want to I want to see how middle America reacts to this. With, you know, the Middle Eastern guy being with Miss America. So I think it would be, for many different reasons, a very different narrative if we had Shannon and Sawyer hooking up. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot in here that I think indicates that the that Shannon and Boone really existed on the show without great um, ideas for where they were going to fit in overall. Um, I mean, I, I think actually, like, 
Shannon's wealthy and incredibly distant mother finally cancels Shannon's credit cards, like basically makes its way into the episode yep. here uh, with some tweaks. Except of Sabrina would say stepmother. Yeah, she'd be very quick to point that out. Um, but I, but I think just like where does this character fit in the greater uh, collage of lost characters? Uh, you could you could see that they just like did not have a great handle on it. Um, and I, I think like even launching into the description of Shannon as uh, she may be uh, it may be hard to perceive her as little more than a quote unquote rich bitch uh, is like, OK, I, I think that maybe they're just they're they're never really going to get to that level of complicated that they really mm. want to get to. And yet here we are with abandoned. And um, I think it's possible that we're going to go through this one a little quicker than than we've gone through uh, recently, frankly, because I'm a little strapped for time this week. So this may be a shorter episode of Down the Hatch. Um, but I but I also do think that, like, it's it, it, she is complicated in this episode. And, yeah. and Maggie Grace does get to bring a lot of different layers to Shannon in this episode. And and I think demonstrates why she's a really talented actress. Um, and then they just kill her. Uh, and it was, ne- it was never really a great look for Lost, I-, I thought, back in the day. It still does not hold up terribly well for me in, in, the, in the present day. And yet, even if I don't like the story turn very much, there's, there's a lot that I do enjoy about the episode, specifically, uh, I think, Maggie Grace's performance. Yeah, and I think this is a great character turn for Shannon. And to your point, I think, it, you know, I, I still don't know where I land, because this is going to be the first of many instances where we're going to have a flashback episode for a character that dies in the end. Right. We're going to get that with Anna Lucia. We've mentioned Echo several times, you know, and I, I'm still not sure what to feel about Daniel it. Daniel Faraday is going to have the same deal. Yeah, I guess with Anna Lucia and Echo, it's a, it's a, you know, this is not their first flashback episode. Whereas maybe the more egregious thing is that this is Shannon's one and done and so it's one of those things where, to your point, you sort of throw up your hands at the end, like, oh, we found out so much more interesting stuff about Shannon, and now we really won't see those character developments or those characteristics sort of sketch themselves out. We've obviously seen Shannon grow as a character and a person over the course of Lost Season 1 and the first episode of Season 2, essentially. But watching this episode, and I agree that I think, you know, there are really interesting things over the course of this episode, and the flashbacks in general, I think, are a really interesting character study, but it almost makes you feel like, oh man, you know, what would have happened had Shannon survived? Would she have lived long enough to crash the Dharma van like her many sports cars? Who's to say? <laughs> yeah, what's up with the wrecked sports cars? I don't know. That I feels was... like a missed opportunity that we didn't get a wrecked sports car flashback. Well, that's the thing as well, is that, you know, I wonder had we kept Shannon alive and done a flashback after Abandoned, would we have seen more of a transformation from Shannon into the person who starts off season one? Mm. You know, there, I think there have been uh, a couple of comments, not to skip all head to the, to the other section that sort of talk about how this, these are great flashbacks, but I feel like there's still a little bit of missing pieces, for lack of a better term, to make us fill in maybe too many blanks to get the transition from this very sweet but fundamentally broken person in Shannon at 18 to Shannon going to Australia and conning Boone out of money uh, just because she can. Right, right. All right, well, let's get into the episode. We'll talk it through uh, with our summary plus eight sounds. We'll actually begin with a sound, but just to set the stage, the way that the episode opens up, it's nighttime. Uh, Shannon is sitting on the beach. She's by the fire. She's got some water. She's hanging out with her dog, Vincent, and she's trying to get Vincent to drink some water, and it plays out like this. 
You thirsty dog? That's the sound. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's the sound. That's All right. It. I just so thought he- I just thought it would be great to have in the Rolodex moving forward, uh, Shannon saying, You thirsty dog? Like anytime yeah. like you and I are getting like too hot for a ship. <laughs> you thirsty dog. Yeah. Exactly. I okay. Walt, great on you for giving away Vincent. Obviously, you saw Shannon's vulnerabilities and how she needed that comfort. Josh, this is a bit of a hot take. Maybe I'm thirsty, dog. I don't think Shannon's a good dog owner. Why? She calls him dog. I call my cat cat. Oh, if you if you think that this is disqualifying of Shannon calling Vincent dog, uh, then you should not be a fly on the wall for the way that I hang out with my kitties. Call right. Them, call them turds. Uh, <laughs> little shits. Wow. Uh, little monsters. Am I going to call cat protective services on you, Josh? No. I love my kitties. But the turds and their cats, and sometimes I call them as such. I think so, it's in terms of endearment. Well, I think it also depends on the person. Like, I think if Shannon started the episode being like, "You thirsty, you piece of crap," like I don't know if it would play as well. You know, <laughs> you thirsty, you terrible burden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You beast of burden. Uh, no, maybe it is literally just being like, "You thirsty dog." You know, like, maybe it's just like, "What's up, dog?" You know, what is up, dog? Anyway. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's what uh, Sabrina Carlyle's dresses are made of. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, but she she feeds Vincent some water. You thirsty dog. Uh, and turns out Saeed is thirsty dog. Uh, <laughs> Saeed shows up and tells Shannon, gather your things. I'm so excited. You need to come with me right now. What, I- what does he toss her? <laughs> I don't know. He's like like a to- like stuff like he's got like a like a little like cabana package for her. Yeah, it's like a it's like a group of maybe it's like toiletries. Like oh yes, we'll be spending the night in the yeah. love shack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, he's he's built a love shack. Uh, great Lindelof suggestion. If you want to submit your Lindelofs, I saw Lindelof came through the mail. Yeah. Haven't listened. Haven't listened. But I know that they're starting to very slowly pile up. Mm, not a little in. louder, Walt. Send him in. Um, but Shannon is going to be taken to this uh, little cabana, this tent that Saeed made. Uh, there's, uh, we've got all sorts of amenities in here, Shannon. There's, there's fruit. There's, there's hand torches. There's flowers. That flower is gin. <laughs> no, it's Michael. That's Michael. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry. He'll, he'll be quiet as he watches. Yeah, this flower is Boone. Uh, it's, th- there's this weird line, though, when Saeed says, like, what do you think? And Shannon goes, does it have an inside? Yeah, what a, I, what a weird question. Like, what do you think? Like, is it just, like just by virtue of the fact that there is a door, you would assume that there's an inside. The what quality inside? of the inside might be up for some debate, but I think the existence of the inside is uh, set in stone. What if Sai's like, oh no, you caught me, and it just reveals to be like what a two dimensional flat? Is that yeah. what she's implying? Yeah, she like walks through, and she's just out the other side. It's like yeah, it's like a wily coyote yeah. thing. She runs straight into it. It's an optical illusion, Shannon. Are this you, was a lesson. <laughs> are you impressed with my Puzz 3D <laughs> abilities? Uh, yeah, so then they go in, and he says, it's all yours, and she thanks him, and he goes, you're quite welcome. And this time, uh, the hopes, I do feel like our expectations. Like, the way that Shannon and Saeed are just, like, there, they're like, all right, I guess it's time to do the thing. Yeah, there's a weird contemplative pause here, where, like, he walks a few paces, stops... They sort of eye each other a little bit. They're ready to they, go. They're ready to go. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, this is also probably a moment where they want us to sit in this relationship, considering it's the last time uh, they'll see it happen. I don't know, and I guess, you know, maybe this is the last time they kissed since they were 
by the fire, but it was just, it was very slow moving, surprisingly. So for the Love Shack, we're no, seemingly, it was there's- seductive, though. It was great. It was, it was great. They're really, they're, they're there. They're doing it. They're making out. Gun, there's a gun involved. Yeah, <laughs> there's a gun involved. Uh, yeah, Finkel is Einhorn. Guns digging into my hip. Uh, and isn't that ironic, Mike, that the gun is here? You put the, it's the Chekhov's gun, right? Yeah, exactly. not the exact not- same gun that's going to take out Shannon, but you open the act with the gun, you close the whole thing with the gun. Uh, Chekhov loves this episode of Lost. Big fan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was uh, talking to n- the Chekhov whispers recently. It's like, Abandon's underrated. I will say not enough Russian people from his opinion, but he would say for like an Americanized show, yeah. uh, he he really enjoys it. I also like Saeed's line of, I only carry it because I have someone to protect, which... Wow. You know, considering his past, where he's carried a gun as part of an, the army, which or the the National Guard, uh, which you would say, you know, has some sort of form of protection as well. It's sort of like a callback to those days, but at the same time, now there's a much different level and form of protection, and that his heart is in it here. Yeah. I mean, we should enjoy what we're getting from Saeed in this episode, too, because it's going to be the last time he's feeling any semblance of joy for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, Happy Saeed is uh, it's, uh, here here for a little bit, and then he's not going to be here for much. And Josh, time. they're about to get real happy soon, because I think this might be our first case of on-island coitus. Wow, is this our first uh, on-island bone sesh at this yeah, point? I th- yeah, I mean, listen, it's not going to be the last time in season two between, you know, the aforementioned stuff with Sawyer and Anna Lucia, right, Jin right, and right, Sun right. coming back together, which will produce G on eventually. But which we won't see. They they will deprive us of any. any yeah, only only my only Michael, the literal wallflower, will be able to see that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. this is uh, I guess groundbreaking in many ways. <laughs> Michael the wallflower took me a second. Oh my <laughs> god, we don't actually think he's a plant, <laughs> yeah. by the way. We we should clarify it's, it. it should, we shouldn't have to clarify, but it's a joke. <laughs> Craig! All right, uh, let's keep going. Uh, Taylor's in the jungle. Cindy thinks we got to start moving again soon. It's nighttime. Uh, and Sawyer uh, Sawyer thinks that everyone's lost, and he makes fun of Anna Lucia. He calls her Ponce de Leon. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where that ranks on the Sawyer nicknames. It's pretty high for me, because it's I think so it's, strange. I just, yeah, it's, it's so out of nowhere. Like, who would have thought Sawyer would have studied, you know, European explorers of yore? You right. know, obviously the go-to is Christopher Columbus, right? Otherwise, you have what, like, if we're going with down the family feud list, Ponce de Leon... Might be up there, Magellan, uh, you know, I, I, Vasco da Gama. Like, I feel like Ponce de Leon might be like a solid number five. So good on Sawyer for going a bit obscure. But we should also mention, like, hi, Cindy. She's actually talking. She's named in this episode, yep. and she'll be gone, but certainly not forgotten in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Cindy's uh, Cindy's gonna be here and and gone in in just a short while. Uh, there's some arguing going on with like how Sawyer like what you're gonna you're gonna leave your friends behind you're gonna leave Michael behind and Sawyer says Michael he cares about his kid and neither has squat to do with me. <laughs> I and love it- now that we can track like when Michael and Sawyer consider each other friends and when they don't. Yeah, you know, like Sawyer said when he was in the hole a few episodes ago, like what happened to my friends and now he's like Michael's not my friend and then ooh awkward timing because here's Michael. Yeah, as Michael uh, grows off of a tree. <laughs> Uh, sprouts from a plant and says, oh, it's nice to hear you say that. It's very awkward. Very awkward. And Sawyer's like, wow, 
I didn't realize that you were a plant the whole time. Could you uh, uh, possibly call your plant friends to help with my <laughs> arm that's falling off? Yeah, any aloe that you can spare? Uh, and Jin's looking at the shoulder and starts like, yeah, Chewie, I know. My arm's about to fall off. Uh, it's time to move. They got to yeah. start moving because they saw the others and everyone's starting to panic. They're like, oh, oh no. Really good visual, cool visual of uh, Echo over the hill, which yeah. is like, it's very shadowy and for lack of a better term, smoky and i feel like actually my favorite thing this episode does oddly enough is set up the next episode Mm -hmm. where you know you talked about last episode how we start to get a bit about what happened with the tailies we get so much foreshadowing here and it really starts here where libby asks echo if they if they saw the kids and that's sort of like a obviously we saw kids walking through the jungle last episode but it's like oh man there were kids involved with the tailies, and they got taken, and obviously Anna Lucia is going to have her big uh, confessional moment later on, but there's so much great sort of dribbling of 207 in here that's really going to become fully manifested in the next episode. Uh, back at the Love Shack, Side uh, and Shannon are, are in bed together. We heard this earlier. Uh, this is how we opened the episode, where Shannon's like, so does all this mean we're going steady? And Side's like, no, it's an open relationship. Uh, I also love Nadia. I'll st- I'll settle with you in the afterlife. Uh, I I love also her using the term "going steady" because it just brings back "bye bye birdie" in my. Opinion. Well, she doesn't actually say it, but uh, yeah, uh, hiya Hugo. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> hello, Mister. <laughs> hello, Mister Jara. Yeah. Uh, so this that- is Walt Johnson. <laughs> this- <laughs> Can I speak to Shannon? (laughs) This is Stefan Johnson. Uh, (laughs) We'll hear from Stefan and the others, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, so Saeed's going to go and get Shannon some water. She's thirsty, thirsty dog. Uh, Saeed's going to go and get some water. Yeah, probably wouldn't have worked on her as well as it does on Vincent. She's like, what the hell are you calling me? (laughs) Yeah, so Saeed is going to go and get the water, and uh, Shannon's going to be like very impressed with how quickly uh, he comes back. And when he comes back, it's actually not him. It's the ghost of Walt, and she's going to freak out. Uh, yeah, I love the effect of the, the candle being blown out. Like, we can obviously, I think we're going to do a lot of relitigation as to, is this Walt, or what does this Walt represent? But it's very ghostly, right? When things, you know, all the flames blow out around you, and he's shrouded in darkness and still sopping wet. It's an electromagnetic projection, right? That's what we feel, we feel good about that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where you're at. Yeah, I think that this is Walt. I don't exactly know why the message he's sending is hushed and backwards. Maybe he's still sort of getting used to his powers that he hasn't fully connected how to get his message across. Um, but yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the best method of delivering his message. But I still, I think this is the real McCoy personally. What if? Um, so the others are going to say that they got more than they bargained for with Walt, right? Like, that's eventually mm-hmm. why they're like going to give him back to Michael. Um, what if part of the experimentation that they are doing on Walt involves, like, electromagnetically projecting him to other parts of the island, and they're like, we got to test out, like, can we, like, make somebody do something that they would not normally want to do? And so they're like, who is, like, deeply expendable over at 815? And they decide on Shannon. Uh, And so they have Walt show up and they lead Shannon to her demise at the hands of the tailies. Maybe that's part of why the others are roaming so close by to the tailies is because they have to have, like, two fixed points 
Mm, so this is sort of like a, a candid camera or a Walt would you do, where it's like, we're going to present this scenario. <laughs> Walt would you do? Oh, my God. Throw a Banafi pie in the face. Oh, my God. <laughs> But yeah, it's this thing where like, you know, uh, we're going to present this scenario to somebody and we'll see how they react in real life. And then, you know, maybe they expected that Shaden wouldn't get shot and the others would come out and be like, oh, it's all one big joke. By the way, you're coming with us. That's why we took Cindy. What, what, what would you do? Oh, my God. <laughs> that's, an- that's another great little off. What, 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 what? Oh God! I so they were they were just reaching into the the hatch to pull out various gack and things uh-huh. at the end. <laughs> yeah, you get slimed. Uh, so that's the that's the cut to the lost intro, and then when we come back, sides trying to reassure Shannon. Uh, there was nothing. None of that was real. You're fine. Everything. Let's just go back to Love Shack round three. Uh, I, I, we've already been through round one and two. I can't remember at the end of Man of Science, Man of Faith. Did Shannon tell Saeed that she saw Walt? Uh, yeah, I. Yeah, because she comes back. Doesn't she come back from uh, go back to the cave? She's like, I saw Walt, and everyone's like, No, you're crazy. Yeah, it's that, like she and Charlie are kind of getting into it. Yeah, you know what? I think I think that makes sense now. Uh, I'll I'll double check as we're sort of talking here. But so you would think then that Saeed would be like, Okay, this is a pattern, and maybe that sort of uh, tempers the way that he approaches her for the rest of the episode. But yeah, we should we should recognize the fact that. She hasn't been completely silent about this. You know, she's been silent pretty much on the rest of the season since then. But she right. has not been silent on the idea that she saw Walt in the jungle. Right. And uh, apparently uh, baby Aaron hasn't been silent either because Claire is going to come over because uh, she heard Shannon freaking out. A uh, little uh, underreported fact is that Claire and Shannon apparently are, are friends. We've seen them walk around together a little bit. Um, and she's, she's, yeah, they're, they're on team bottle. They're, they're, they're on the bottle, bottle brigade. Uh, Charlie's going to come over and he's going to be very mad at Claire for waking up the baby. Uh, and this is going to launch us into the storyline of the episode where Claire is like, uh, so a little trouble in paradise is beginning to, to brew here in season two, episode six. This is all coming a little bit earlier than perhaps we anticipated. Now, look, I can understand Charlie's frustration. I could also imagine that, like, if he is indeed saddled up with Claire, that they've both sort of un- been undergoing the sleeplessness of caring for a newborn together. At the same time, he has to remember that this is a woman who was kidnapped. You know, she says that the reason why she got Aaron up is basically because she was scared that something was happening. So it would make so much more sense for her to basically feel like she has to mobilize anytime there's a sound in the night you know that maybe yeah. the others are coming back to take her or take somebody else so give her a freaking break that she woke up the kid she was prepared for an emergency uh side is then going to follow shannon around but come on let's talk about this come back to the shack come on so i spent so long working on this thing <laughs> uh and she's done uh because he doesn't believe her and she knows what she saw and here's what we see we see our first flashback uh shannon rutherford 18 years old. Uh, you can tell because like there's just a more innocent aura to Shannon. She hasn't she hasn't wrecked any sports yeah, I was cars say, yet. N- nary a scratch from a car yes. crash on her. Yes, the Lamborghini in perfect condition. Uh, of course, we will not be able to say the same for her father's car, unfortunately. Uh, but Shannon is teaching ballet, uh, and then one of the kids is like, "Did Papa see me?" <laughs> and it would appear that Papa did not. Uh, but he was looking. He was looking at her friend a whole lot. Yeah, Papa's flirting with one of Shannon's friends, and then after class, uh, Shannon's friend comes over to Shannon 
and says he is trying to recruit me to be his au pair, to which Shannon replies, Au pair my ass. Yeah, and that's sound number two. It's really short. But I felt like uh, you thirsty dog and au pair my ass, we could just bring those along for the ride. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like the Shannon soundboard is slowly building up. But there's, <laughs> there's some fun irony in here, though, because oh. I'm pretty sure, and this is largely done off-camera in deleted scenes, but I'm pretty sure not only does Shannon become an au pair, but I'm pretty sure this guy flirting with her friend is the guy that she becomes the au pair for. Yeah. Well, you know, she, by the end of the episode, she's going to be very determined to, to make her way however she has to. If that means being this man's au pair... Uh, and, uh, you know, my ass and all of that, then she's going to do what she's got to do. I was I was confused, though, because when Nora did, you know, and her friend's name is Nora, uh, and she did, you know, this this French accent, I thought for a second that they were in France, but I guess this just happened to be a French man who is in California. A Frenchman. Um, what does it mean to au pair my ass? Does that mean, like, you're going to be, like, watching it closely? You're going yeah. to take, take care of it? You're going to make sure that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maintain my figure? Yeah, you're, uh, a living, you're a living ass keeper, essentially. Yeah, so you're going you're gonna to monitor my butt. Um, Shannon gets the phone call you never want to get. Uh, her father has been in an accident, and we, we cut to the, to the hospital... Uh, we see Jack with his flashback hair. He's walking past. So yeah, and I mean, it makes sense. The doctor would be like, you don't want that guy to talk to you, okay? He's going to talk about how your father was like spaghetti. Like, he just has horrible bedside. Yeah. Let me handle this conversation. Yeah, that doctor actually ate some of your father uh, because he loves baked ziti. Uh, but I think that this doctor didn't do such a great job either. When they're like, how's my husband? How's my dad? Uh, he's like, yeah, well, here's like a lot of information about the nitty gritty and how it happened instead of us kind of just being like, I hate to tell you this. There's no easy way to say this, but you're, uh, he's, he is no longer alive. Uh, they're also like, in like the middle of a hallway while they do this. There is some nice symbology here in that Sabrina and we're going to get into Sabrina, but her and the doctor are sort of in the, the front of the camera and Shannon's always one step behind them, which I think is like a very good body language symbol about how Sabrina's always blocking Shannon out. I will say, I know you have to introduce Sabrina and her relation to Adam, but I just feel like, Doctor, my husband, Adam, how is he? Is like, it's a pretty clunky piece of dialogue, it's unfortunately. Not great. It's not great. But also, does your daughter want to come? My stepdaughter. Yeah, and actually, uh, they didn't show this, but an Australian cop pops out of the room and writes down, no blood relations. <laughs> no blood relations. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about Sabrina in a little while. Uh, let's go back to the island. The Taleys are walking. Uh, it's going to be like a day to camp. And then Sawyer like drops. He's not doing well. Uh, and he's going to get a visit from a doctor of his own. I thought that this, we'll, we'll listen to a good amount of this scene. I thought this was a good opportunity for us, in fact, to stop down. We haven't really had a, a real Libby conversation yet. So let's, mm. let's do that here. Let's, let's listen in on Libby and Sawyer's uh, interaction, and then let's talk about Libby for a little while. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine. You want to let me just take a look at your shoulder? What are you, a doctor? A clinical psychologist. You're a shrink. Maybe you ought to talk to my shoulder. How'd you get shot, anyway? With a gun. You got shot when they took my kid. It's bad, right? Yeah, it's bad. But it's not real bad. Mom, you're gonna be okay. 
Let's go. Let's go. I'm a clinical psychologist. <laughs> yeah, I, listen, I'm not, a, I'm not a medical doctor, but your shoulder looks fine to hey, me. Hey, you look, you look fine. All right, uh, we haven't really talked about Libby very much. I, no. I feel like we've, we've, done a, we've, we've talked about Anna Lucia a good amount. We've talked about Mr. Recco as of last week a good amount. Talked um, about Bernard a couple episodes ago. But we haven't really stopped down and talked about Cynthia Watros, who plays Libby. Uh, and this was a character that I, that I think a lot of people were very intrigued by over the course of season two, especially after like the ending of Dave, where this clinical psychologist looks like she was an inmate at Santa Rosa alongside Hurley. Um, and she's going to die and we're not going to have any real elaboration on who she is. Right. We're gonna- we know that she apparently, at least uh, from what we assume she's telling the truth about is a widow. Maybe, who, maybe who, has, who had a boat named after her you know libby is one of the most confounding characters too because it's not like the show didn't have opportunities to tell us what was going on with libby um because cynthia watros returns a couple of times you know she'll she'll be back and meet kevin johnson in season four uh we're gonna see her in season six uh so like she comes back but they just never really tell us what was up with libby um did you ever have any like strong feelings one way or the other about the character? Uh, was she ever somebody who was like a real mystery person for you? Uh, was she like a, a character that was like deeply unsatisfying for you? Just like, what are your Libby takes? Because I actually don't know that you and I have ever really talked about this character. I know one of the very rare lost characters yeah. that we haven't shared our feelings on. So I really like the character of Libby because, and I guess this is true to her clinical psychologist nature, just how warm and sympathetic she is and you know what really comes up against i think one thing that they do well with the tailies is really introduce how they're not one blob you know you you see it from especially this episode with i wouldn't say the power struggles going on but certainly the personality discrepancies between someone hardened like anna lucia someone who's a bit more sympathetic but still very quiet in his ways in mr echo and someone like libby whose job it is to talk to people and I always enjoyed that part of her personality. Of course, I shipped her and Hurley once they came together. I thought they be- you know, built out the best qualities of one another. And I think it's tough because on a show where you could say essentially every other main character like had a lot of their history built out and a lot of their questions answered, with the exception of someone like Walt, for example— she is someone who unfortunately got the short end of Echo's stick. Yeah. You know, she, she's someone who we find all these things of like, okay, I guess she had a husband. Okay, I guess she was in Santa Rosa. But again, sort of like what I ascribed before with this, these Shannon flashbacks, they give us a bit too many blanks to fill in. So I always thought this is one of the more frustratingly unresolved parts of Lost, even if you go in with the adage of Lost is about the characters, not the larger mystery this is one of the larger character mysteries that's been unsolved. And I'm sure that you and I are going to be able to hopefully write Libby's unwritten history together. But this is something that never really settled well with me, even if the show, like Libby here, is telling us, you're fine, you can keep going. All right, so one of the missions of Down the Hatch, right, is to fill in those blanks and make these unsatisfying notes a little more satisfying. How can we enjoy the things that the show didn't really uh, resolve in an overt way or even resolve in any way? Uh, can can we do that? Is that a mission that we can undertake? And can we do that with Libby? Um, and Mike, you and I recently appeared on Crazy Hank TV. We were with Jack mm-hmm. uh, talking about Live Together, Die Alone on the Crazy Hank TV YouTube channel. Highly recommend you watch that. It was about an hour of the three of us nerding out about the 
the season two finale and was, I thought, very instructive for you and I to watch that at this early point in season yeah. two uh, to kind of know what we're building towards, to have that a little bit more fresher in mind. And there is that scene where Libby and Desmond meet in a flashback and she gives him the boat uh, and the boat is named after her. It's Elizabeth from her late husband, David. Um, and it's I, I'm not the first person to arrive at this by any stretch of the imagination, but let's see if we could build the theory out as we go here a little bit. Uh, there had been talk over the years. What if Libby is an agent of Jacob? Uh, what if she works for Jacob in like the same way that Ilana worked for Jacob mm. in, in the same way that that guy Bram works <laughs> for Jacob? Remember Bram or is it Bram? I think it's Bram. Bram. Uh, I mean, Bra- listen, Brahms both, is both the boy. Brahms is the boy. That's right. I forgot. Uh, they're, they're, what? What if? What if uh, Libby is part of that coalition, and we know that uh, that uh, that friends of Jacob can get to the island by way of airplanes? What if she knows that she is going to be on eight one five? That it's going to crash. Uh, she's going to find herself with certain members of the the tail section. What if she's trying to keep tabs? On Mr. Echo, if she knows that the the smoke monster may have an interest in Mr. Echo, could there have been some greater mythology role for Libby along the way? She's going to take a keen interest in Hurley. Is mm-hmm. she vetting Hurley on Jacob's behalf? Or is she just thirsty dog? She may just be thirsty dog. Uh, is, she, is she there to au pair Hurley's ass? Oh, God! <laughs> you know, on, on Jacob's behalf. Is she Jacob's au pair? Uh, to to go in and watch the asses of all the people from Oceanic Eight Fifteen on Jacob's behalf. Can we? Can we? Can we? Uh, can we put that square peg into a round hole as we go throughout Libby's arc in season two? I'll be curious. Yeah, and I mean, definitely this episode. There's not much to sort of uh, speak to that. We're gonna, but I, I'm glad to put a pin in it. But I guess if we're sort of going off of maybe her role in the tailies, you know, we'll obviously find out more about that next episode, but. Maybe she was trying to guide them in a certain direction in this episode. Uh, you know, it seems like she's supportive of Echo's idea to go inland to support Sawyer, both physically and emotionally. Maybe there's a reason why she should do that. Maybe she thought that they'd run into Richard Alpert, who could help cure him like they did a young Ben Linus once upon a time. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Let's just keep it in mind because you never know. Meanwhile, Hurley's with Rose. They're doing laundry. Uh, Rose doesn't like the 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 hatches washer dryer. Apparently, uh, she says, "Who needs a dryer when we have sun and fresh air?" And I didn't know that Jin's nickname was Fresh Air. <laughs> yeah, uh, listen, he loves to fish, and uh-huh. you enjoy the fresh air there. Yep. So it's easier. It's, sometimes it's easier to say Fresh Air Quan. Uh, Shannon comes up. She wants to know if they've uh, if 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 Michael and Walt did they leave any of the stuff that they didn't put on the raft? Uh, I guess their clothes are still on the beach. And Shannon walks off with Vincent. And Rose says she feels bad for Shannon. It can't be easy losing the one person you love on the island. And Hurley is like, Erp. Yep. Uh, and I think Saeed's a little bit like, Erp. Yeah. They're both sort of feeling it, you know, yeah. down the line, one much more sooner than the other. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Shannon is going to take Vincent to Walt's clothes. The iconic Walt shirt. I guess Walt didn't bring it. Although I feel like he was wearing it. I thought he was wearing it. Yeah. Does he have multiple, multiple is the, copies? Is it the only shirt he has, and does he have 20 of them? Well, uh, yeah, maybe he actually, maybe that's one of his powers, is that he can duplicate shirts. Uh, that's a very useful power on an island, on a desert island. Uh, so uh, Vincent's Yes, the, the power of continuity is yeah, on Walt's side. 
Vincent's going to sniff out uh, Walt's shirt. And she's like, all right, you thirsty dog? Uh, thirsty for the for the the scent of a young child? Uh, go find this boy. Uh, and Vincent, and Vincent goes, nope, I'm going to lead you to a place of trauma. Yeah, it's good. Boon, boon. Uh, so Vincent's going to lead Shannon on a goose chase through the jungle or a dog chase through the jungle, uh, and they're going to wind up at Boone Hill, the funeral site. And I will say, uh, I'm surprised. You know, they obviously didn't have Mr. Echo to to carve his grave, but very nice engraving on Boone's actual uh, gravestone marker. We know it wasn't Locke because Locke was gone for the Booneral. So I wonder who was able to use that craftsmanship. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, Perhaps a, uh, a secret skill of Rodney Sesto. Uh, we'll he is good. He is good with his hands. Rich, we owe you a DM. We'll figure this out. It's <laughs> <laughs> life is really busy right now for everybody. We definitely want to get back into the Lost RPG. Uh, Claire is with Aaron, and Locke shows up. And she's like, "Oh, how's the cradle treating you? Cradle to the grave, uh, or grave to the cradle in this case, I guess." Uh, she says, "Cradle's great. It's the baby that's the problem. He's not asleep. Ugh, he's been up for eight hours straight. That is not yeah. good for a newborn, Josh. Uh, talk, newbor- talk me through all of this, Mike. Was this so, triggering for you? Well, so newborns are typically supposed to sleep 17 to between like 14 and 18 hours a day, especially because I believe Aaron's what, like a couple weeks old at this point since Boone's death, since we saw, you know, that gravestone being put into the sand. And usually, especially with newborns, there are these things called wake windows where babies are usually only really able to be up for like two or three hours at a time before needing rest again. So Aaron being up for eight hours straight, look, all babies are different. I would say that my child, especially starting off, uh, was not exactly sticking to that strict 14 to 18 hour window. But a baby staying up for eight hours straight is just not good. Yeah, it seems like a lot. Seems like a lot. Uh, John Locke comes up. He's like, all right, well, here's the problem. You aren't swaddling Aaron. And he comes up and he swaddles Aaron. Babies like to be constricted. Mm, I mean, I'll tell you one who didn't, and his name was Asher James Blue. But yeah. so, uh, yeah, Asher, we tried swaddling him, especially, you know, once we started putting him down in the crib. But uh, he was one of those babies that needed his arms to be free. Maybe he's a little bit claustrophobic in that regard. So, Josh, we invested in something, a big marvel of baby technologies today called a sleep sack um which is essentially like a a weighted sleeping bag for babies wow where you sort of like it's like made of heavier material and it's like a onesie you zip them up inside and the heavier material sort of helps elite you know uh bring about these ideas of swaddling and feeling constricted which is comforting but it also allows his arms to be free as it was the best of both possible worlds so I, mean, I saw lo- something like that uh, on like uh, an Instagram ad recently. It was like a sleeping bag suit. There was yeah. like this handsome model who was romping through the forest wearing like a sleeping bag as if he was like exploring Mars. Baby model? No, it was like a human. It was like a, well, not that babies can't be humans, but like an adult <laughs> human. Uh, Interesting. So it's like I saw like the adult version of what you're describing. It looked yeah. comfortable. It looked cool. Listen, what's good for babies must be good for adults it, it looks we like a, it looks like you're wearing a sleeping bag and if you're out in the wild you can literally just like stop down wherever you are and just go to bed yeah even though Locke does say it doesn't until we, it's not until we become older that we des- take up the desire to become free yeah i don't know i don't mind a, a good constriction every once in a while yeah you, i mean i think we you can all... sw- you can swaddle me <laughs> okay is that an offer I, I i meant kind of just like the general you can swaddle me but sure you can swaddle me mike 
Okay, when I au-pair your ass, I will make sure to <laughs> swaddle you every night. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is getting weird. <laughs> this is getting very uh, odd. Locke and, and Quare are talking, and Quare is just, like, uh, going ham about Charlie. She's like, it's like we're married, but I don't remember marrying him. I don't even know him. Well, I didn't even I, know he was a religious freak. Little do you know, Claire, we'll, freak. we'll find out on maternity leave that actually one of the things she forgot was that she married Charlie at the station. Yeah, she brings up how Charlie is secretly religious, and is like, what do you mean he's religious? He's got this Virgin Mary statue. And Locke's like, err? And she says, yeah, I found it in the jungle. And Locke goes, mmm. How about that? Mm. I also think Claire, again, you know, my sympathies are with Claire, especially when she vocalizes in this scene that she feels like everybody knows her baby better than her. And I feel like I love the advent of social media, especially, you know, we've been given the opportunity to talk and sort of share positives and negatives with a bunch of other parents out there. But there are some of those people that like definitely make you feel like a worse parent of like, oh, you should be doing this. Why aren't you doing that? And so I feel like Claire's getting that in real life form here. And I can imagine she feels a bit of an imposter syndrome when literally everybody knows how to put this baby to sleep and they're you know, in Charlie's case, chastising her for not doing it. They should have paid Sawyer to stay on the island because he, yeah. can, he can. Or they should have. I'm, it, I'm sure there was like maybe they could have used the Hatches record player to like make a record of Sawyer doing reading the car magazines and just play that for Aaron on loop. I do absolutely think with you saying that uh, that they should have allowed without any question whatsoever uh, Claire and Aaron to have as much hatch access as they want. Uh, it shouldn't have to be like an automatic given that they are there all the time because how is Aaron going to sleep through the night with that beeping going off every 108 minutes unless you have somebody like on computer duty like ready to like push the numbers in immediately on beep number one. So there's mm. just like errant beep number one. So really like you could sleep through that. Maybe two beeps you could sleep through. I think it's possible you could sleep through two beeps. Probably not more than that. Uh, but this is a baby. Yeah. Maybe it let, is. The ba- let the baby and the newborn and the, and the new mom sleep in the underground bunker with the food and the, and the, the coziness and the bed. Yeah, the this bed. This shouldn't is- be hard. This should make sense. Yeah, like, it's interesting. I guess now we have to go back to Everybody Hates Hugo and be like, Hurley, you're telling people. Why didn't you, why didn't you tell Claire? You give her an opportunity. At least give her the opportunity to be like, I'll take care of Aaron. You go sleep down in the hatch for a little yeah, bit. You go know? to the hatch. Go to the hatch. Anyway, uh, Locke not happy about what he's just heard, but there's more to talk about there. Uh, let's go. Let's flash back. Uh, we're, going, we're going back to the funeral for Shannon's father. Uh, and she is going to have a, a special guest is going to roll into town. Let's listen in. Death sucks, doesn't it? Oh, no. Hey. I'm so sorry, Shan. You came back. Where'd the poster of Marky Mark go? I'm 18, Boone. Your mom's gonna freak. It's awake. I mean, seriously, who doesn't serve booze awake? Scotch? It's your dad.
Boone. Boone, he's back. Underage drinking. Yeah, but they're at a little teacups. So. I guess we don't know if Boone's underage or not. He seems like he could be 21. Well, especially when she's 18, like I can imagine. So a few things about this. First, I want to go back to the funeral. I wish that we'd gotten the flashback of how like Boone and Shannon got fake IDs. Mm. Well, I mean, listen, he's from New York. Like, I think, you know, it's a little easier to get in like an urban population than, you know, in a, in a even in somewhere like California. I'm so intrigued, Josh. Why is literally nobody comforting Shannon at the funeral of her father? Yeah, everyone's terrible. Maybe everyone's just like, it's all Sabrina's friends who were invited. Yeah, and what Sabrina told her, to, told them to ice her out of the yeah. funeral. Yeah, yeah, I think that's possible. Here's Boone uh, with like that, uh, he's got like real 90s hair. Yeah. This is, this is like late 90s hair is what Boone's got here. You know, he's looking, uh, he's, he's looking real can't hardly wait right now. Ooh, yeah. Maybe he and Shannon should have gotten locked in a bathroom during a big party and really hashed out their feelings for each other. Yikes. Yeah, it's possible. Damn, I gots to have sex tonight. Oh, my God. Imagine with, like, the baggy <laughs> pants and the goggles on, like he's Seth Green. Yeah, I think that's possible. But, yeah, uh, and, and, I mean, it's a nice little tongue-in-cheek thing that the first thing we hear Boone say is death sucks, doesn't it? And Shannon death saying... Death sucks, you, doesn't it? Shannon saying you came back, which has a whole new meaning to it. So, I mean, this is also... Say what you want to about the way that Shannon treats Boone, especially right before they come onto the island, but Boone becomes a very important role here. Shannon is alone. She lost, I I imagine, like the only parent she really ever felt close to until now. Her stepbrother, who she seemed to get along with pretty well, was entirely on a different side of the country. Nobody's comforting her at her own father's funeral. Uh, She feels, for lack of a better term, abandoned. In this world. And no, I think, it's the right term. That's why it's called yeah. that. And I think Boone coming back here, albeit for a short amount of time, is perfect. And that he sort of represents that form of comfort, which I think he does actually embody on the island as well. As much as they may gripe with one another, for this extremely new situation in a myriad of ways for these two, stranded on this desert island, they did find comfort in one another as a strange and weird as they may be. And, and you begin to see that relationship here off Island. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's sad to see the ways in which Shannon's life, uh, you know, she really did not have a lot of support along the way. Uh, and you can imagine if she just had the right support, like things could have been very, very different for, for her. She could have yeah. become like, uh, like you say earlier, like she could have been the black swan, but hopefully <laughs> with like a less dark ending. Exactly. Uh, I'm intrigued. So Shannon, I guess, was obsessed with Marky Mark specifically. Uh-huh, yeah, she loved fear. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I wonder maybe if, if Shannon nowadays would have had like a, a Mark Wahlberg poster. Or is that just now that he's refined himself? Would you still is he still poster worthy as a person? Uh, so you're saying like not of the Marky Mark phase. Like, would she have a poster of him as Sergeant Dignam from The Departed? Yeah, or like a pain and gain poster, you know? <laughs> yeah, or like uh, him as the fireman in I Heart Huckabees. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe just a, maybe just a whole collage yeah. of various she Mark has, Wahlbergs. She has a Ted 2 poster in her room. Right, not Ted yeah, 1. Thunder, not bu- Thunder Buddies for life. But the thing is, despite her getting rid of that, her saying, I'm 18... Uh, she still has a dollhouse and uh-huh. little teacups. I'm 18, Boone. <laughs> now yeah. drink out of these tiny little porcelain cups, please. Yeah, yeah. Now have lunch with me. I cooked it here on my little 
dollhouse oven. And now, yeah. Boone, please, let's dine on the Fisher-Price omelets that I made in my yeah. little oh. kitchen. Mmm, these are very good, Shannon. You <laughs> yeah. Made, yeah, I made them myself. Yeah, Boone, I'm 18. What, you think I would order out with my Fisher-Price omelets? As he's just, like, gumming wooden <laughs> omelets. <laughs> yeah. I'm 18, Boone. You idiot. Now eat. I spent all day working. Yeah, now eat, on Boone. This. We're gonna be playing Fairy Princess later on, so this I need your appetite meal. to be up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so he's trying to say, like, okay, uh, she's like, I, I applied for the thing in New York. It's a very small chance, but there's a chance. And she's and he's like, all right, well, you should talk to Sabrina about getting that paid for. And she's like, yeah, I don't really want to talk to her. She hates me. And she's like, just try, just try. And she says, from day one, Sabrina resented my relationship uh, with my dad. Um, and like at, at the time, and you're watching it, you're like, oh, this could be a, you know, a difference of opinion. Maybe it's just a misunderstanding. But we'll get deeper into the episode. And it uh, seems like it's a bang-on accurate read. Yeah, we'd say there's a greater chance of her getting into the Martha Graham dance company than it is of the two of them reconciling. Uh, back on the island, uh, the tailies are trekking. Uh, Sawyer's still not doing well. They're on the coast uh, they take a five-minute recess, uh, and Echo says, we got to go back into the jungle. Uh, that peninsula up ahead, it, it just might not be passable. It may not be passable. And Alicia says, may not. And Echo says, may not. <laughs> yeah, I, and I love, and Alicia just sees right through it, right? Yeah. She's like, no, no, no. You're risking our lives to help him. You clearly yeah. want him to get back to camp faster. And a very Echo-like statement, at least the Echo that we know now. I think you brought up a lot of great comments last week about how this might not be the Echo of your, but at least the Echo now who wants to atone for everything says, it's the only way I know. Yeah, she says, you'd risk our lives to help him. He says, it's the only way I know. And I think, again, like, if you're reading Echo with, like, like a lot of, like, it's just what I have to do. Yeah. I have to do it. I got to do it. Like, it's, I, I have to do this this way. Uh, yeah, and if, you, if you read it that way, then it's like, oh, uh, he does not want to be doing it, but he literally has no choice. Yeah, I'm sure it was much easier for them to scramble across the rocks, Exodus style, to get back to camp. But he knows that the harder path is the more worthwhile one. And another clue to next episode, and Lucia, you know, uh, scoffs to him. I liked you better when you weren't talking. I liked talking. you better when you weren't talking, she says. Uh, Claire is still with Locke. Aaron is well and fully swaddled. The swaddling... Works every time, unless you're Asher Bloom. Uh, and uh, I figure, like, they got to wake up eventually, right? Like, eventually, like, you're in the swaddle, and, like, the swaddle isn't going to work. Well, yeah, I mean, Aaron's going to wake up right now, actually. I'm pretty Just sure about, when, Locke, yeah. when Locke holds him. And maybe that's... I, I want to break down, you know, Locke's decision here to initially sort of balk at the idea of holding Aaron. And maybe one of the reasons is because he knows as soon as he does, Aaron's going to wake up. Yeah, that could be possible. I relate to this. I'm, uh, I, I get very nervous holding other people's children. Uh, like I just, uh, it feels like a lot of responsibility. Not that I have anything against babies or children. I love babies and children. I was a nursery school teacher for a little while. Uh, this is, you know, I was a summer camp counselor for many years. I love kids. I'm a proud, uh, proud uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lo- love kids, but like I do think that there's something like a little like oh, I don't want to break the baby. Uh, so I get it. Uh, but apparently I'm missing out on that new baby smell. Uh, I, I sh- mean, it's a little, yeah, it's a little, I wouldn't say overrated, but yeah. I think, you know, whatever you're expecting, it's not that Pe- peaches and cream. <laughs> no, no, no. It does not smell like a starburst lozenge. If that's what you're implying. <laughs> that was what I thought it would smell like. 
yeah, so I, it's a, I don't know. I, I also wonder if it's sort of a, not necessarily a lock thing of like, I don't want to hold the baby. Because again, he seems to show some sort of aptitude, at least for swaddling. Maybe it's it's some sort of personal thing as well. Maybe it's sort of uh, connected to him. I mean, he never had children. Maybe it's something that he doesn't, a topic that he doesn't necessarily want to broach. But he does. And of course, who happens to walk in right at that moment, Josh? Charlie. He's like, oh, 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 oh my. What have I interrupted? It's like, Charlie, relax. Yeah, jealousy is not a good look on him. Two human beings just talking about a baby. Uh, And so Charlie is here and he said, I came so you can go on your walk, Claire. Locke's like, oh, well, don't mind me. Whoop-de-woo, this is awkward. Yeah. He gets up and he goes, but like, he's like, you can tell like he doesn't really want to leave, but he also doesn't want to like come out and say like, hey, so Claire, I I think that Charlie might be uh, doing heroin. (laughs) Well, Uh, I don't know if I should give my baby to a drug addict. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's going to try and ferret that out on his own later, but he's going to give like Charlie the respect and like distance of being like, all right, well, I don't want to jump to conclusions without vetting Charlie for myself. It's an interesting dichotomy as well that's represented in the way these two guys speak around Aaron. Maybe this is just Terry O'Quinn naturally, but he has a very like soft, Soft. calming voice as he talks to Aaron. And Charlie comes in like, what's going on? And it's like, well, you're around a baby, dude. Maybe you should not do that. So yeah. eventually, when we get to the whole fire plus water, Claire doesn't want Charlie around Aaron. Maybe we're sort of laying the seeds down. Yeah. Um, all right. Back in the jungle. Uh, they got their damn hockey sticks still as they're all walking so slow through the jungle. Now. I wanted to mention, because we get we start up on a close-up of feet, but not the other's feet. Is Bernard wearing sandals? Uh, yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Sort of like uh, like he like took them from uh, like when he was in Australia with with Rose and they went to go and visit the guy. Uh, maybe like you had to take your shoes off and put on like monastery sandals. And they got uh, in such a little bit of a fight leaving that place that he forgot to put his shoes back on. Mm, Although maybe, no, didn't um, she say like, oh, he healed me? And he's like, yes, amazing. And so maybe he was so excited. So he just kept the monastery sandals on. And that's what he had on the flight. Or maybe he thought that these were better TSA shoes, like easy to slip mm-hmm. on and slip off. Yeah, you know? that, that makes sense too. But I would um, say pretty bottom five like shoes to wear in the jungle, right? Considering um, how much can get in your those sandals. Bottom five, I would say uh, you don't really want sandals for your jungle trek. Yeah, unless you've got like feet of steel. Bernard uh, might have feet of steel. It's possible. Possible. Uh, keep them away from the hatch. Uh, if that's the case. Yeah, you know, that'd like, be very Bernard. awkward. Bernard would be like walking on the walls. Uh, He'd be like, oh, don't worry. My feet are made of titanium. Uh, so that's my superpower. I'm that's steel super feet. Power. Yeah, steel feet. All right, so they're going to walk. They're making noises with their steel feet. Sorry, keeps falling. Jin's very concerned. And here's Anna Lucia who's going to show up and give the spiel about why everyone needs to shut the heck up. Shut up. What? They can't talk at all? If he talks, he's going to get us all killed. By what? Them? I thought they lived a day back that way. How about you shut your mouth and get your buddy over here moving? What happened to you people? You want us to take you back with us? Fine. But you want me to keep quiet? Then you need to tell me why I have to. (sighs) 
They came the first night that we got here. They took three of us. Nothing happened for two weeks. Then they came back and took nine more. They're smart. And they're animals. And they can be anywhere at any time. Now we're moving through the jungle. Their jungle. Just so that you can save your little hick friend over here. And if you think that one gun and one bullet is going to stop them, think again. So shut your mouth. Keep moving. They took my son. They took a lot of things. Bernard says, they took my shoes. <laughs> they took my shoes. They took my rings. They took my Rolex. Uh, yeah. Uh, they could be, a, <laughs> they're animals. They could be anywhere. They're plants. <laughs> they grow on trees. And Michael says, great. Now we're on an even play. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, now I can play their game. For the first time, he has hope uh, in his search for Walt. Well, like, let, oh, I can do that. I want to talk about Michael in this scene because obviously the Andalusia stuff is interesting and this is a major foreshadowing for what we're going to see in the other 48 days but michael ultimately gives an ultimatum here and look he's been sort of trying to ask them exactly what they are or what happened to them for basically as long as they've known them and they haven't been giving them the answers but michael decides in this moment you know listen you better tell me what the hell's going on because people are dying and you want us to keep moving forward and I would also say for the audience's sake, I'm glad he did that so we could finally learn a little bit about them. But what do you make of Anna Lucia's decision to tell them right there, right then? Uh, it's in service of the plot, I think, is really the big thing, especially with where we're going to go at the end of the episode and like ramping up the paranoia. Uh, but I do think that there is like an element right now of... And Lucia is just like at this boiling point of frustration. Things are just not going the way she wants them to go. Uh, you know, she wanted to cut around the island. Now they're cutting back into the jungle. They've had to stop. They've had to wait. Uh, she feels like if we're just doing things my way, we're going to actually survive. Uh, and because we have to keep stopping, we're not going to. Um, and I, I get the, I get the feeling that she's just like so pissed off at this point that she's just like kind of like mouths off. Mm, I think the way that Anna Lucia describes the others, you mentioned the, the animals comparison. She's almost describing them as a force of nature, you know, not like a group of people that you'd run into something that is as natural as the wind yeah. to this Island. And that's why she feels like she has to constantly keep her guard up. It's because at any moment in time, they can flip in and take advantage of her. Right. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's a really interesting way to look at things. I think it further subsists her sort of natural way of looking at things from the past few episodes, especially this insistence of let's keep moving, we need to keep going. We see what happens the minute they stop going. Apparently, Cindy gets kidnapped. I will say, for as much credit as I give Michael for starting this whole conversation and having her finally reveal things, I don't think he necessarily needed to add it. Add they took my son to it. Like she's telling this heartbreaking story about all these people who disappeared from her camp, and he's like, Yes, but they also took my son. Fun yeah, fact. But, but what if someone's tuning into Lost this week and they didn't know? So they just needed the reminder. You know? Yeah, 
I, I, I suppose so. It's sort of mm-hmm. like, or maybe those who have the short-term memory loss. Yeah, maybe we forgot. Maybe we forgot. Um, back at Boone Hill, Shannon is there with Vincent just looking at the grave. And Saeed shows up and he goes, listen, I know what this is like. I know what it's like to lose someone you care deeply about. Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, not believe that. Yeah, uh, I know what it is to lose someone you care deeply about, but then fall in love with somebody else a few yeah, months later. Yeah, like it makes sense to me and it's all, that's all fine. Uh, but she says, this isn't about Boone. It's about the fact that I saw Walt and nobody believes me. And uh, Syed's like, why are we at Boone's grave then? And she gets up and goes, go back. I'm going to find Walt. Uh, they're not communicating well. They're still in the early stages of their forever uh, coupling together. Yeah, now that they've sort of become physical, the the verbal connection is sort of falling apart. I will say, like... I am not going to say that Saeed is being, you know, a bad island boyfriend here. I I think it makes logical sense if she's sort of, you know, sulking by Boone's grave for a portion of time that, okay, this might have something to do with Boone. Uh, So I I don't know if she necessarily thought that he should assume or that he should know the, you know, natural connection that she had with Boone off island if she never really went into length about it. He's just trying to be supportive of her. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, could, I think it could be. Uh, but obviously, like, the emotionality of their relationship still requires a lot of work. Uh, so, you know, if we're trying to, like, chart, like, how, why are these two going to, like, wind up together forever in the afterlife? Uh, you know, this is something that we need to, like, come up with some measure of a ruling on the field by the end of this episode. So well, let's just put that, a pin in it, maybe. Well, not to mention, I think her emotional fragility post boon that we saw in the greater good i think has really bubbled up to the surface again like we definitely saw her in a vulnerable place in man of science man of faith but i feel like this moment has sort of been stirring up all of these bad memories and bad feelings maybe that's another reason why she's really connected to the boon gravesite is because she feels like she lost the only person who did believe her even though he did tell her in the flashback we just saw that he didn't believe she'd get the martha graham uh, internship, and we'll see that she sort of rebukes him at the end of the flashback. She does have a connection to him, and now she's really, really wishing she had that. All right, so in flashback form, uh, Shannon's going to find out that she got into the school uh, over uh, a nice bowl of Alpha Crunch cereal. Mm, and also listening to some nice Dave Matthews band. Yeah, got that DMB going on here. Quick trip to the DMB. Uh, and she gets she gets the exciting news, but then she also gets the bad news that her rent check bounced, and her roommate's like, "But wait, aren't you like rich?" Oh my god! <laughs> Great line. Aren't you like rich? And <laughs> she goes, "No, I'm Shannon. We've been living together. No, I'm I not thought your rich. name was. I thought your name was Richard. Richard I'm Rutherford. Sh- I'm Shannon. I'm Shannon." Wow, I'm learning so many things today. Wow, I always thought that you were rich. (laughs) It's a joke, Craig! We don't actually think (laughs) Shannon's name is rich. All right, and then the flashback continues, and here comes Sabrina, and... uh, All right, let's just do it. I'm sorry I would have offered you something to drink, but I have to be at a meeting in ten minutes. Yeah, um... My checks are bouncing... (laughs) Well, that's what happens when you make withdrawals and don't make deposits, Shannon. When do I get the money Dad left me? The money from the will? There was no will. What? Shannon, your father and I 
had a living trust. Everything passed to me. I'm afraid there was nothing specifically designated for you. Why would he do that? Well, maybe he just wanted you to find your own way. We all have to work, Shannon. Most of us are the better for it. I can work. I just... I just got this really prestigious internship, and I'm, I'm not going to make any money for a while, but I'm, I'm going to be working like 16 hours a day. The only thing I've ever seen you do 16 hours a day straight is sleep. I just need to get to New York. I need something, something to get started. I'll pay you back. This week, it's an internship. Last year, it was, what, an interior design? You'll never pay me back. And you'll only hate yourself even more. I really want this, Sabrina. I can do this. I'm sorry, Shannon. You're on your own. I hate Sabrina so much. I hate uh, you, Sabrina. Sabrina, so- you're terrible. I okay. So there was no will, uh, but was there any ill will from Mr. Rutherford towards his daughter? You assume not, given how horrible this is for Shannon that she misses her father the way that she does. Uh, is it bad that there was no will? Sure, but the man's dead. We don't need to drag him any further. Would he have left a decent amount of money to his daughter? Almost definitely. Sabrina's just sitting on the money pile like smog and just taking out her resentment on Shannon for no reason other than being a horrible, horrible person. She reminds me a lot of somebody in my life, which is probably why I'm so triggered by her. Damn, shots fired. She reminds me a lot of uh, a friend of mine's uh, mother who is an abysmal human being. Uh, and I just, ah, ah, everything about, about this character drives me nuts. I think the way that a lot of people feel really triggered by Susan might be how I feel about Sabrina Carlyle. I triggered by both. So I'm, yeah. I'm I guess I'm the worst of both possible worlds. To start the conversation, she has a meeting in 10 minutes. Is the meeting like in her house? Could how, be. How does she, Could ex- be. how does she expect to get anywhere, in, especially in California in 10 minutes after, you know, assumingly a, a hopeful conversation that's longer than two but did, minutes. Didn't Dan Hedaya say everywhere in LA takes 20 minutes? Isn't that from Clueless? Oh, yeah, I suppose so. Uh, so so she's got to be within at least a 20-minute radius, and mm. maybe her 10 minutes is a slow 10 minutes. And Shannon is a virgin who can't drive a sports car. So. <laughs> Probably, yeah, we've come to find that. It makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, so first off, oh my God, I love Saeed. <laughs> I'm totally oh but crazy no. in love with Saeed. In the in the uh, in the Lost version, it would be oh my god, I'm in love with Boone. Like yeah. that's definitely more of the Josh yeah. share situation. I know. I know. Um, that's true. Plus, Boone definitely is more of a Josh, right? Being like a little snide guy. But, I know. So uh, first of all, totally snide and rude, Sabrina with being well. That what happens when you withdraw and you don't deposit, Shannon. I would say. Look, Didn't we call Locke a full-on Monet <laughs> a couple <laughs> weeks ago? Wow. Well, well Locke's going to have a real harsh time moment later when he's talking to Charlie yeah. about being a drug addict. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, so, it, so I, as, I, I agree. Like, it seems Adam Rutherford's a very caring father, but I feel like it's a slip of judgment for him to not 
give anything to Shannon. Like, I could imagine that if it really was palpable from the beginning of this mixed family that Shannon and Sabrina don't like each other, probably a good move to be like, oh, okay, maybe I should leave something to Shannon because who knows what Sabrina is going to do in the event of my death. Like, maybe just a bad judgment on Adam Rutherford's part, but still, how many things, if you died right now, would be left unfulfilled? You know, there's very important things that you need to to get done uh, because of emergencies like this, uh, and this is not a good thing, but I think it is not an entirely unrelatable thing, and if he has any faith in, like, his spouse at all, to whom all of his stuff is going to be bequeathed, uh, then, like, maybe, like, you would think that, like, she would follow the, 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 the wishes of the man who is now deceased. Uh, but it doesn't work out that way. But then it's all a nightmare. It's but then in, in that case, this is like a Cinderella situation, right? Of like the evil stepmother and the father is none the wiser here. And now she can't go to the ball in New York. I am going to poke holes in Sabrina's logic of like, first it's an internship, then it was interior design. Yes, Sabrina. Kids have varied interests. She's 18! They're going to try things out. You can't pick a path when you're 16 years old and then stick with it the rest of your life. Maybe you did with your wedding business, but guess what? Nearly nobody is like that. And also, clearly you could spare the money. It's also like so cringeworthy when she tried, you could see her try to guilt Shannon by being like, You'll never pay me back, and you'll only hate oh, yourself I, even more. I, I'm doing no, this for I you. only hate you more, Sabrina. I also, what is, I guess, is she assuming that if she gives Shannon the money, Shannon's what, going to go to New York and start gallivanting about and then come back like three months later and be like, oh, the internship didn't work out. More money, please. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. I don't know. Because then, I, again, I feel like then maybe something's missing. You know, maybe we should have seen Shannon at 17. Maybe if she was indeed acting this way, maybe it would substantiate what Sabrina's doing more. But if she is still like this very sweet girl that we're led to believe... At 18, it just makes her argument that much more, you know, uh, terrible. Yeah. Oh, what a disaster. What a disaster this whole thing is, Mike. It's it's terrible. And I can imagine, again, you could see how trauma, because, I mean, what I can imagine this is only, what, a day, maybe a couple days after her father died, and her stepmother literally tells her, you're on your own. That's got to be a terrible terrible feeling that you that you carry with you for the rest of your life that your own not flesh and blood but your family abandons you in every sense of the word horrible the episode does a great job of making you feel like horrible for shannon you know but then they kill her so you know cool (laughs) which makes sure you makes you feel even more horrible for her that like everyone else sort of had their redemption and i guess saeed believes shannon but that's the only form of redemption she'll get yeah um, all right, so back on the island, Locke and Charlie are playing backgammon. Uh, Charlie's getting very lucky with those double sixes. Uh, and no, Locke is, or yeah, Locke it, is. Locke gets lucky with those double sixes. And then uh, they're talking about Claire, and she's like, did she tell you we got into a fight? It didn't say it was a fight. Uh, and yada, 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 uh, you're a heroin addict. Well, uh, and that's I, basically I, what happens. And I think Charlie's definitely trying to big your thirsty dog Locke here with like, well, did you know Claire told me that she was going to give the baby up for adoption? I have that information and you don't. And Locke's like, oh, yeah, well, actually, she told me back in season one, too. So, yes, it was a few episodes after she told you and raised by another. But I still know the same information. And you could hear Charlie just tuck his tail between his legs. 
I will also ask, is Locke saying that's an interesting thing to say for a heroin addict might be the worst burn we've experienced in law so far. I mean, the way he delivers it, he's like, hmm, now that's an interesting thing to say for a heroin addict. The shade! The shade. Uh, yeah, Locke does a, he really shades Charlie here. Look, this is the beginning of a critical storyline from my least favorite episode of Lost ever. Mm. Uh, and yet, just given the, the events that have transpired up to this point, uh, I, I don't think that any of it's unfair, uh, from Locke's perspective. And I think it's interesting the way he carefully picks his words. You know, we mentioned that burn, but Charlie immediately follows up with recovering addict. And Locke says, yeah. Yeah, recovering. Like, oh, I fully know what you're up to, and you're not being truthful to me, so I'm going to bank that away so when I punch you in the face later on in the season, it's all that more substantiated. Um, Okay, uh, so let's go back into the jungle. Uh, The tailies are going through. Sawyer is going to collapse once again uh, after, like, he's, like, uh, like, really shading everybody, right? Where he's like, screw you guys, I got this. You all, you all stink. <laughs> and then he takes three steps and falls down. <laughs> yeah, oh, pair of my ass. And then he, he falls down. Uh, and Michael comes and he's like, hey, wake up. And Sora's like, oh, I would have left you behind. He's like, shut up, man. Drink some water. You thirsty dog? He's like, I did leave you behind. And, and then he tweaks out and like goes and like is not doing doing well. So wh- why do you think Sawyer said what he said? Was it like him admitting his guilt on his quote unquote deathbed of like, hey, Michael, just so you know, I'm not a good guy. I did this. Yeah, even on it, he's not ready yet to be absolved. So if he were to die in this moment, he's not ready to, like, die a good person. He'll just mm-hmm. die with the armor on. You know, well, he's wearing the armor. And then I'll give kudos to Michael for sort of, like, seeing through that Sawyer facade and being like, yeah, ma'am, whatever. Like, I, I know you're Sawyer, so, like, I know you got a good person to you at the end of the day. Like, I'll, I'll keep listening to your BS and nodding along. Yeah, all right. So he's freaking out, and uh, everyone's freaking out, and Anna Lucia's like, all right, we got to keep going, and no one wants to leave Sawyer except for Anna Lucia. Like, I think like Cindy kind of wants to leave. I was like, eh, maybe we should. Uh, like, everyone else is like, let's build a stretcher. Well, yeah, gonna- and I, I think Cindy's perspective is interesting because we're going to find out next episode that she, she was pretty much the caretaker of the kids, Zach and Emma, that right. got taken. So I wonder if Anna Lucia is number one on the power rankings of paranoia, Cindy might be number two because she had people very close to her taken. Yeah, uh, it's possible. That's possible. And maybe that's why the tailies are going to grab her. He's like, yeah, the kids were asking for you. You, know, <laughs> you weren't on our list, but they really like Yeah, you. you're going to au pair their ass. That's you're gonna your role their- from the others. <laughs> you're going to au pair their ass for sure. Uh, Michael is going to au pair the ass out of a stretcher. Damn. Uh, he's going he's gonna to build a stretcher on the fly with the help of Mr. Echo. And Bernard's going to go get some stuff. They're going to carry, uh, carry Sawyer through uh, the, the rest of the way. Um, Meanwhile, Shannon and Saeed are now together. Saeed has caught up with Shannon. Uh, he's not taking her advice to go away. And they're going to walk as she's going to continue to follow Vincent through the jungle. Uh, let's listen in on how all of that's going. Why are you doing this, Shannon? I didn't ask you to follow me. No, you'd rather be out here alone and get lost or hurt. I don't need your help, Saeed. Walt is not out here. You're following a Labrador. Not a bloodhound in an effort to find the boy who's on a raft He's in the middle of the on ocean. The raft. What are you talking about? We found the bottle on the beach. The bottle with the messages that they brought with them? I know he's out here somewhere. I saw Walt. 
and the raft is gone, and he is all alone. Mostly I wanted to play that because I love the way that Saeed says, Labrador. Yeah, you're following you're a Labrador, following a Labrador, not, Labrador. A, not a bloodhound. Not a bloodhound. Um, yeah, and so she's just like saying like, listen, don't talk to me like I'm some sort of loser. I know something you don't know. Well, now look at me. I can keep a secret. Yeah, and I think her saying the raft is gone and he is all alone is also very interesting. Like, obviously she's pursuing Walt because it's freaky deaky and nobody believes her. But at the same time, she I can't w- leave a kid alone. She's been left alone. And we see yeah, her exactly. in this episode, like, training children, too. So she's got a soft spot for kids. Right. And, and, uh, and But I think, yeah, you are you brought it up exactly that I think she's used to, she knows what it's like to be all on your own in a scared environment, feeling like nobody can be there for you. And ghostly or not, she wants to go out and find him and know that, like, somebody is there for you. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, it's a very poignant moment for her where maybe she's, emotionally staking herself in Walt more than we might think. Despite Walt, the theory that Walt might be projecting himself around the island, courtesy of the others, Shannon is certainly projecting a bit of herself in Walt. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I think that 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 tracks for me. Um, I think that that's like a big piece of why she's feeling so energized by this quest. Um, And of course, sadly, it's not going to end the way that she she wants it, 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 it goes to. poorly. It goes poorly. Meanwhile, tailies are trekking through the jungle. Here comes Hollywood and Vines. But it's but it's like a back. slow jam, Hollywood and Vines. Which I wonder, like maybe that was the music. Well, it's like a love small. Shack. It's not a mountain. It's a hill. You know, it's, right? it still like, seems like a tough job. I will also say, I I'm you know I guess you know a little bit of a power struggle going on. But good on Michael for like mobilizing the tailies to actually build the stretcher. We didn't talk about this in the scene before, but I love. You know, Anna Lucia being like, do you remember what happened to Goodwin? And Michael says, you know what? I don't remember Goodwin. I'm sorry about whatever happened, but we got to build a stretcher. Yeah, and Anna Lucia's like, yeah, well, things uh, that happened with Goodwin uh, were not so great. Um, so they got uh, like a tiny Hollywood and Vine situation. They've got Sawyer in the hammock. It's really impressive that they built that together so fast. Yeah, I mean, you like, didn't... I think Toggy and Pagong are like balking at the idea of them constructing such a great hammock and especially also for their teamwork hauling sawyer's dead weight up a hill yeah not 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 a nothing job uh and to do it uh minus one set of hands because cindy in the middle of all of this just goes spontaneously missing all right so let's talk about this because i think we should try to walk through the logistics of what happens because i watched the scene a couple times so she was at the bottom she was like i think it was libby and then her at the very bottom i think the last thing we saw of her was her handing some of the poles from the stretcher to Libby and then Libby getting helped up. And then I guess they looked over the side and saw that Cindy was gone. So I guess, A, do you believe she was outright taken by the others? And B, is it just that the others are very stealthy and that they were able to slip in and slip out without making a glimpse of a noise? I would expect it's it's got to be that, right? I mean, unless Cindy just like dipped. She's like, oh, I saw the kids and I just dipped. Yeah, I, I, but I, I, the whole noise thing is just like escapes me because we don't hear absolutely, we don't hear anything, and maybe their noises of exertion in getting Sawyer up the hill maybe trounce those. But I mean, if so, I mean these these others are like I don't know, rolling twenty on stealth checks. They're able to just like swoop in, grab Cindy, and then slip out at a moment. Got some notice. very lucky dice rolls this week. So yeah, exactly. Because I think they're she's not visible for all of what like twenty seconds, and she's already gone by that portion of time. But that also I think makes things much scarier, and also hits home what Anna Lucia warned them about of like 
yeah, they're almost superhuman. They can appear at a moment's notice. Of course, we'll find out that they're far from superhuman at this point, but maybe they're conspiring with other forces that are superhuman and can take people at a moment's notice. Yeah, so she's mad. She's furious with Echo. This is all your fault. We risked our lives to save this guy. This one's on you. Yeah, uh, so she's pissed at Echo, and then the whispers show up, and Anna has the gun out, and she screams, Run! Uh, even though Echo does want them to, to stay together, that's his own version of live together, die alone, that yeah. we're going to experience somebody dying alone, unfortunately, very soon at the hands of this one of these people. Um, all right, so uh, we cut from that. We'll, we'll return to them momentarily. Uh, meanwhile, final flashback of the episode is Shannon is like packing up her apartment. Boone shows up. I guess Boone has been on this quest to talk to Sabrina about maybe getting uh, some money for Shannon. Uh, he's looking amazing. It's not just the hair now. He's got like this Adidas sweater, this brown sweater jacket. He's got the jeans, the white mm-hmm. V-neck. He just looks fantastic. Do you think Sabrina brought, bought that outfit for him? Absolutely. Because we're going to find out that she... She swaddled him in those clothes. Oh, exactly. So he felt much more comfortable. So we'll, we'll find out like this is how Boone owns a business. That's yeah. how we we find out that he gets involved with his mother's company. I think there is a non-zero chance, Josh, that Sabrina knew exactly what Boone was up to and to stymie Shannon's approach decides to offer Boone a job just to make sure that Shannon doesn't yeah. get any money. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, because she hates Shannon that much and because she's that awful of a person. Again, this is why I'm so she reminds me so much of this person. She's so oh petty. I mean, I guess when you have a when you have your own company, I guess you can sort of flaunt employment wherever you want to, but just a petty Betty here. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is very this is very real. Uh so he's like, "Yeah, listen, I'm I've got a good job. My trust fund is going to kick in at the end of the month. Uh, I'm going to have some money and then I can keep you afloat." And Shannon is, like, very quick to turn that down. She's very angry about it. She doesn't want any help from anybody. She says, you don't believe me, Boone. You don't believe that I can do anything. She gives him his money back. Take your money. Go work for your mom. I don't want your money. Hmm. This is complicated, right? Because I think Boone, like, very authentically is like, I'm wealthy. I have money. I can help you. Not in the way that we thought, but I can definitely help you. And Shannon's like, I don't want that help because it's associated with your mom, who I freaking hate. And now also I've been jilted by so many human beings that emotionally I don't feel ready to accept help from anybody. Right. Uh, uh, this, this is horrible from all sides. This sucks. This right. Well, a shitty situation. That's, I mean, uh, to go back to like a Sawyer reference, this is the dog that gets hit one too many times that thinks they did something wrong when really they didn't. Uh, to right. the point where she literally is biting the hand that feeds her. I wonder, because, you know, she again uses this word believe, and we're going to be talking about this with the final sound. I wonder if Boone had been more supportive of this whole Martha Graham thing. Like, if he had said, you know, she said, oh, it's a one in 3,000 chance. He's like, no, 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 I think you're going to get it. Like, you're a, you're an amazing dancer. You're an amazing teacher. I wonder if she would have been more responsive to him here. Because I wonder if that factored into her thinking that even someone like Boone has abandoned her and doesn't believe her. Yeah. Uh, it's just very sad. It's it's really sad, because again, this is someone who started these flashbacks very warm. Even when she sees Boone, you know, she she falls into his arms very comfortingly. And now this is somebody who is going to resort to, you know, uh, extracting money from Boone yeah. through deception to yeah. be able to pay her way forward. And it's, it's just a bad slippery slope here and she unfortunately doesn't have the people to help her up in this stretcher yeah all right well the slippery slope here it comes for shannon uh as as she and saeed are running and now it's raining and she falls in the mud 
and she and Saeed are going to get into one last fight that's going to turn into one last reconciliation that's going to turn into the return of Ghost Walt and the death of Shannon. It's a long sound clip. It's going to be some stretches of harrowing rain and silence, but uh, I think we should just listen to the rest of the episode from here on out. Why don't you believe me? I need you to believe in me. I do believe in you. You don't. No one does. They think that I'm some kind of joke. They think I'm worthless. Shannon, you are not worthless. You say that now. But you don't. You're just going to leave me. I know. As soon as we get out of here, you're just going to leave me. I will never leave you. I love you. And I believe you. You do? I do. It's a, there's a lot like Shannon finally gets her moment where she's believed in. She sees Ghost Walt. She fearlessly charges after Ghost Walt. And imagine the world where Anna Lucia isn't there trigger happy, just shooting her right in the heart. Uh, great, great aim. 
I, I mean, I mean I listen, he's well trained. I was gonna say yeah. when you're an officer, you better have uh, that good of a name. Yeah. So I guess it's sort of breaking down this scene. I guess we should start with the tears in the rain of it all of Santa, Shannon and Saeed. <laughs> Because I love, I always love these moments. Now I just imagine Shannon giving like the Blade Runner speech. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Shannon turns out to be a replicant the entire time. <laughs> That's why she had to die. Yeah. Oh my God. It's possible. <laughs> I've, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. So, yeah. I mean... I love, I always love these moments in Lost where they sort of get to the heart of the matter, where their innermost psychology becomes outer. And she says, you know, not only I need you to believe in me, but I think the point that really hits home is you're just going to leave me. Like, right. I think there is certainly a, uh, um, uh, definitely a, a, a component of this that's around belief. And it's yet another interesting branch on the tree of faith, right? There isn't just belief in something. There's also the want to be believed. And we see that with Locke, and we see that with Jack, and we'll see that with Ben, and you know, with the, with the idea of following Jacob in that regard. But Shannon is someone who wants people to believe in her, and it's not an outright worship, but it's at least you know not taking her just as a flighty rich bitch, right? And I love the sort of meta aspect to this, where she says people consider me a joke, and then I'm worthless. Josh, you have to wonder. If there's a little bit of meta eking in here a bit, that this yeah. is a character who not a lot of people liked through her death. And even though I think we pointed out some more positive qualities that have come after her, I think if you're ranking the popularity of the main cast of Lost at this point, Shannon's near the bottom. And I wonder if this is sort of a way to address, to have the character sort of address the audience as well in a manner of being like, you just think I'm this one thing, but I am someone who has been hardened by so much sadness in my life that I eke a desperation that you would not believe. I run yeah, and and I and I get it, and I'm I'm glad that Shannon gets this level of depth before she goes. But I I do think so. I, I think that this is something that that Lost does from time to time, where they have like the death episode um, that is like kind of like an attempt to justify the character's existence or deepen the character right before they go. Uh, like you said, Anna Lucia, they're going to do that with her later in the season. And I think um, maybe more effectively because it ends up being like this really stunning plot twist uh, that that catapults us into the final stretch of season two. Uh, and this is serving a very similar function, actually, with, with Shannon's death. Um, I just think that they do this kind of thing better in other instances on I'd, Lost. I'd agree. Like, this is the first instance i maybe they also sort of take this as a matter to improve on future instances like i said i think the fact that this was the first and only flashback for shannon it's not a great look to have her die in this because she left so much to be fulfilled as a character and maybe they figured- i think that the i think like almost like the, the the more courageous thing to have done would have been like all right we started her off on a bad foot and like now we can like we can try and tell like a better more compelling story with shannon maggie grace is great uh, she's, she shows a lot of range and, you know, all through the first season, frankly, even when she's just like being like sort of like superficial mean Shannon, um, there's like pain that's lurking underneath that. Like you're getting her and Saeed's bonding together, you know, midway through the season. She really demonstrated, I think, a lot of range as a, as a performer. Uh, and I, I think that it was, it was the writing that really underserved Shannon. Yes. Um, and I, and I, I, think, I think specifically the role she fulfilled. Yeah. Like I, I think they wanted to build upon this fact of like, 
wow, they're on a desert island. They're really out of the real world. And we'll show that by sort of bringing these two people who sort of are spoiled and rich and, you know, are used to getting all these creature comforts. How are they going to do in this more natural setting? I think, uh, like, Exposé is going to do their version of this much better. Mm. Uh, like, like Exposé is another episode where they're killing off characters that they just did not know how to write anymore and, and recognized as mistakes. Uh, but with Exposé, they kind of do it unapologetically. Uh, right, and, and, there, and I think the tongue is firmly planted in cheek yes. there. I think that the tongue yes. is like... It's gleeful. It's a gleeful... Yeah. They gleefully bury Nikki and Paolo alive because they're like, we're sorry, this was a bad call, we shouldn't have done this, we screwed up, our bad, we're killing off Nikki and Paolo and we're going to do it in this big, like, romp send-up of an episode where here the abandoned is is kind of like an apology to the character yeah it's an apology to the audience for having the character on board like there fear there feels like there's something like a lot heavier about about shannon um but it does feel meta in the way where it's like we recognize this character was a mistake we we're gonna we're gonna erase the mistake now uh and i and i get the instinct but i think that like maybe the 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 stronger creative move would have been like how do you how do you get this uh initial writing mistake how do you how do you fix it without having to kill the character but lost is very different if if shannon doesn't die here so to like speculate too much on what lost looks like if shannon doesn't just like walk into anna lucia's bullet here uh you know who knows what branches off from there yeah and it's tough because i agree that i think there are elements of this character that i would like to see more particularly from the flashback perspective but i mean i guess i'm hard pressed to think of another character that would be at the receiving end of the bullet that I'd be more satisfied with. Yeah. Because, yeah. because I, that's the thing. Like I, it's unfortunate because I feel like this needed to happen, not Shannon specifically, but I love what Damon says where I think we've expect been expecting this entire time. And the reason why I love this ending so much is we're saying, okay, the tailies will eventually come back to eight one five and it's going to be this big heartwarming reunion. Jin and son are going to be back together. You know, everyone's, Michael's going to be super depressed, but at least be able to see some friendly faces. Kate will finally be able to be with Sawyer after she felt so guilty about not saying goodbye to him. But this is not what any of us expected as to how these two groups would meet. And it is shocking, and it is dark. And I feel like it is so well done that these two groups are together, but in true Lost fashion, like, to quote another high-quality critically acclaimed show if you think that there's a happy ending here you haven't been paying attention at least well, lost is a happy ending. yeah I, I mean at least for a little bit you know that, that this is going to come at the expense of not only shannon dying but in such a brutal fashion it really sets things up this initial schism between the tailies and 815 that's never really ever going to go away particularly from anna lucia's perspective there, there's so much well done here i love saeed pausing for a few seconds after Shannon runs away, because you could see the gears turning in his head of, oh my god, Walt, Ghost Walt is real. What the hell does this mean before he realizes that he, have to chase, he has to chase after Shannon? And look, maybe if he didn't take those few seconds and actually ran after her initially, maybe Saeed would have been one, uh, you know, at the, at the other end of that gun. Anna Lucia doesn't even show remorse in these first few seconds, maybe because she assumes that they're others, but she just has this scowl on his face and Josh, there's this small touch in the final shot, but I love it so much, especially knowing that we're going to be taking a week off of this, where you see Saeed holding Shannon, the woman that he just declared his love for is dead, and you see Saeed start to rise, and then it cuts to Lost. And yeah. I love that, because 
I feel like that's the ultimate cliffhanger. Not that Shannon's dead, but what... It's like, what's Saeed going to do? Exactly. Yeah, Because he, yeah, yeah. he has that capacity for brutality. You know, he doesn't want to. He's a romantic at heart, but this is someone who just impeded in his romanticism. How is uh, an, a fury-stricken Saeed, what is he going to do even in the presence of friends? And I, I always love that Blind moment. with rage. Yeah. And Blind it, with rage. It's super small, but it really gives a small hint as to what may happen next, you know, when he really tears into them. So I, this ending is just so good on so many levels. And in my opinion, we'll get to the 4.2 stars, lifts a good chunk of my thoughts on this episode, just on the way it concludes. Okay, cool. All right, well, let's get into the feedback. Let's get into the others section, uh, starting with behind the scenes. We mentioned this already, that it's on the Lost on Location uh, feature for Abandoned on the DVDs. Damon Lindelof says... We knew that Shannon was going to die before we started season two. Shannon's death served a number of story purposes, the most important being that we wanted the tail section people and our core group of castaways to be forced to merge under incredibly uncomfortable circumstances. So, Mike, Shannon's the merge boot who just misses out on the jury? Or I think she's the last pre-merge boot, right? She's the last pre-merge boot, yeah. And so they get to the merge, and they're like, oh my god, they voted out Shannon. Oh, this is war. No, or they say, oh, Shannon was medevaced. <laughs> yeah, Shannon was medevaced, yeah. But Sawyer should be medevaced at this point, considering his shoulder. Yeah, and then Cooch is going to do it for Shannon, except they're actually oh, going to get frog-marched uh, beyond belief. Um, Shannon becoming an au pair. Uh, if she had become an au pair, by the way, for uh, the peach man, Ray Mullen, would she have been an au peach? Mm, oh, peach my ass. No, peach my ass. In a deleted scene from the episode, Shannon is shown going to work for Philippe, who is in the first flashback of the episode in France as an au pair. Uh, Daniel Brennan wonders if this should have been in the episode because the episode feels incomplete. We never get any payoff in which Shannon proves her stepmom or Boone wrong mm. um i don't know that i agree with that daniel i think i think the fact that um walt shows back up uh saeed has already said i believe you to shannon and then walt shows up and saeed sees walt uh is uh is payoff to the fact that like shannon is on the money about something ridiculous even you know, though like, she's even though she's off the money in real life right exactly <laughs> yeah i i don't know i i actually kind of see i see what daniel's coming from in that I, I think it would have been an interesting capper. I don't know if it's necessary, but I think it, it could have been a nice tie around for her to to see her approach Philippe, the guy that was flirting with uh, Aren't You Like Rich before, and say, I want to take up that job as an au pair. I feel like it would just be a nice bow on it. Not to say that there's not a nice bow already with her turning down Boone's help, but it could have been a nice way for like, at least the audience as a whole to not make too many connections of like, oh, right, she was an au pair. I remember that back from season one. She watched Finding Nemo a lot in French. Yeah. Uh, more from Daniel Brennan. Uh, why was Shannon barely in the season prior to her death? It's frustrating because she became a more interesting character during the second half of the first season. The beginning of the second season kills whatever momentum Shannon's character has and then kills her too. Uh, Matt McGee adds in, I feel like they could have found some other kind of tragic ending for Shannon other than running around yelling at Saeed and then getting shot. This should have been the beginning of a Shannon storyline, not the ending. And that does sour things a bit on the rewatch as some of the episode's momentum is squandered by the dread and annoyance with Shannon's upcoming death. Mm. So I would disagree on that last point. I think that if you look at this episode as a whole, as a farewell episode to Shannon, I think it holds up maybe more than you might initially think. But I will agree overall that I think the most egregious point against Shannon's overall arc is because we is that we saw her in the first episode where she had a prominent storyline 
and then we barely saw any of her. She was at with the bottle brigade brigade, but she didn't speak at all. I think unfortunately this is just a side effect of becoming so hatch focused in the beginning of it that like there really was no reason to involve Shannon, but I would rather see, you know, some char I would rather see some Shannon stuff than some Charlie stuff in some of these early episodes. Uh, the great Jim Fells has a defense of Shannon's death. Uh, Jim writes in, I really love that they had the guts to kill her off like that. Yes, the character had potential, but they deliberately wrote her final episode that way. They could have created an entirely different backstory or not shown her flashbacks at all. Instead, I think they did a great job of showing exactly why Shannon had not been of much use up to that point and made her death very tragic in that sense. Her walking into the jungle by herself was her first step at becoming independent, and then she dies. Um, and I do think that that's one thing I, I guess I appreciate about the way that Shannon goes is like, in, in a way, she does kind of go out on her terms. Yeah. Where like, she's like fearlessly pushing forward. Uh, yeah, we know that it's a jungle of mystery and dangerous things happen in the jungle, but to just like expect that you're just going to like turn a corner and get shot in the heart, you know, you really got to plan on a lot. Yeah, and, so the and you're, and you're like, not to blame. You know, and the fact that <laughs> another Lindelof, uh, the fact that she's, you know, fearlessly going out looking for Walt because she believes in it so much. Uh, I do appreciate that aspect of the way that Shannon goes. I agree. And so I guess sort of the thesis that I've sort of settled upon, and I don't know if you want to co-op it, Josh, is I think as an episode, I think I'm, I'm more on board with Shannon's death than I initially thought. But I think it makes Shannon's arc in season two actually look worse that we did not get more of her leading up to it. Because while this is a great episode and you feel the pain when she dies here, I think had they paced things out a bit more over the episodes, to be quite honest, we would have cared more. I, yeah. I remember at the time, people were watching this like, oh my god, Shannon's dead, but all the same, at the same time, they're like, oh great, we haven't really seen her this season. So she literally made a cameo and died. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Savan Johnson had a good point. Uh, this is uh, about what we had talked about before, about uh, should the greater good flashback and abandoned flashbacks be switched? This is from Stefan. Um, I think it would have made both abandoned and collision stronger as well, not just abandoned and greater good. It would establish how far Saeed is willing to go for a woman he loves. He goes so far as to encourage his friend to kill himself in an act of terror. So after Anna kills Shannon, we're going to be expecting serious retaliation. However, he takes the high road, which would show his growth as a person. And instead of finally finding out about Shannon only to lose her, we would get the focus on the man who has to deal the most with her loss. Um, Do you think that that would have worked better for you, Mike? It's tough because one of the things we've really been talking up in this episode was really getting a lot of introspection into Shannon's psychology and granted, I guess we would have had that more in the greater good, but I do feel like the flashbacks pair nicely with the main action here on the island, with her fruitlessly pursuing Walt and hoping that her closest confidant believes her. I don't know how I would feel about the flashbacks from the greater good, unless maybe we get more scenes of, like, Saeed, you know, maybe talking with people about, I don't understand the way that Shannon's feeling. You know, right. and maybe, maybe if you parse out those Saeed flashbacks, maybe between this and like collision, you know, maybe if we start to like not have flashbacks entirely focus around one character for an episode, if we do like collision is half Saeed, half Anna Lucia, for example, because I, I do think that while the greater good flashbacks might not necessarily match up to the action on island, they do for abandon, in my opinion. Um, this is from Dallin Cervo. The Shannon in the flashback scenes comes off as very sweet and not so cynical, and it's very sad to see how these events must have ultimately shaped her into being so cynical. Uh, yeah, it is sad. 
it is sad. She does have like this really sweet quality to her in the flashbacks. Uh, that's like totally absent from the way that she mostly operates on the island, where it's like this is somebody before a trauma and somebody, you know, right after the trauma. And then somebody who's just been, um, you know, her, her hurt has been so deepened the longer she's lived with the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it's tough. But I, again, I think it really shows Maggie Grace's range. I, I really think that she's a very underrated uh, actress. Yeah. And I think uh, she was able to show off some screaming in her final episode and some crying, which is great because she's she's fantastic at both of those. But yeah, I think. You know, Lost, as a show fundamentally, is about connections and about people. And I think she's sort of a case of what happens when somebody loses all their connections and them becoming sort of a shell of a person. And it's crazy to imagine that the same Shannon who is sweetly teaching little girls to do ballet is the same one who decides to prove to Boone that she can do stuff on her own by falsely reporting that Saeed left a bomb in the airport. Like, it's, it's, it's such night and day but I guess as you're sort of meant to chart the moon phases in your own mind as to how to become this person, it becomes that much more tragic. Let's talk about Ghost Walt. Uh, we've got some Ghost Walt theories this week. First of all, from Stefan, uh, is Walt responsible for Shannon's death? How much do we want to blame this on Walt? To spoil the LVP section, I think uh, Walt is very lucky that Sabrina's in this episode. Seems like Walt was in consideration for you yeah. for, for an LVP. Because, I mean, I'll agree with Stefan here. I mean, look, I, I, we don't have the mechanics by which he could project himself, but like yeah. he could have at least been a little closer to her yeah. in the jungle, yeah. you know? Otherwise, she ran up after him, and that when she she literally ran after him into that patch of jungle. That's what she ran into Anna Lucia. You'd have to imagine he's at least knows what's going on from that capacity. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is from the great Jesse Camacho. Watch Lock and Key. Jesse Camacho on Lock and Key right now. We're going to get him on post-show recaps in the not terribly distant future. Uh, Jesse, uh, one of our very own. Very excited for Jesse. Nice. Uh, really, really, really love Jesse. Uh, so Jesse writes in, I have a pretty cool theory regarding Ghost Walt. Uh, seeing as the others were so desperate to get their hands on Walt, it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't start testing experiments on him within hours of abducting him from the raft. What if some of these tests were extremely dangerous and in some cases deadly? Perhaps Walt was subjected to some pretty harsh experiments due to his special abilities. Experiments that would kill any regular mortal being. In the process of these tests, Walt was temporarily dead, and thus the man in black could take his form. However, again, due to Walt's special abilities, he hadn't quite crossed over the other side. So when the man in black does take his form, it's not fully formed, almost somewhat faulty, hence the backwards talk. What do you think? Is the man in black a temporarily dead Walt? Uh, it's interesting. It reminds me a lot of uh, that season opener, to, or the season ender slash opener to that one Buffy thing, where Buffy technically was dead for like, two minutes and so another slayer was created and so when she comes back to life there are two slayers so there are two wolves then yeah i I think that makes sense i mean i guess the man in black is very opportunistic right like as soon as he flatlines he's like great taking his form right now let's go zoom yeah all right so devin chubb has another theory devin writes in i have a theory for why walt appeared to shannon in the jungle Pretty much the only thing we know for sure about Walt's powers is that they manifest when he's upset, such as the bird crashing into the window in special because Susan and Brian aren't listening to him. Uh, so Devin's theory is the moment that Shannon sees Walt is immediately after he's taken off of the raft. In a state of complete distress, Walt reaches out with his psychic powers and forms a connection with the one thing he feels the closest to, 
Vincent. So Vincent runs off either to go find Walt or because Walt has warged into him. Oh, no. And Shannon goes to find him. Because of the emotional attachment Shannon has formed with Vincent, Walt is able to bridge the gap between himself and Shannon through Vincent. Walt tries to warn Shannon that he's been taken, but the message is garbled because of the tenuous connection. He's then able to recreate the connection later. Who better Um, to inherit the island than Walt the Wise? Yeah, yeah. Walt the Broken. Uh, who has a better story than Walt? Walt, Walt the Soaked. Walt the Soaking. Um, yeah. Uh, I like the idea that Walt is just the reason why we can't understand what Walt is saying is because he's speaking in secret dog language, or he's got like a bad. He's got bad service. I uh, I really like this theory that he was trying to reach out to Vincent initially, and because Shannon is Vincent's keeper, she happens to be the one that you know is. And you know, she was chasing after Vincent. That's why she saw him. So maybe just. Through pure happenstance, though nothing is really happenstance on Lost. Walt's like, oh, great, Shannon, you're the one person I can talk to, so let me try to reach out to you. Can you hear me now? Um, Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's good. I like it. I think it's good. Uh, All right, this is... Th- let's move on from Walt. Let's move on from Walt. This is Jordan from Wisconsin who has some, some thoughts about Cindy. Uh, he says, in my first rewatch, I just saw Cindy at the temple in season six. I believe she's shown up a few other times with the others along the way. How was she swiped away from the group? Why did she never try to unite the others with the 815ers? I don't understand her story. So my fundamental belief is that it comes back to the kids. Like, I really do think, and I guess we'll see next episode how close that connection is. But I feel like when, you know, she finds Zach and Emma in Dharmaville and they start to... I don't know if they were tested as well along with Walt, that they were part of Walt's class. But I guess the more they got settled into life the more Cindy decided to as well. And then, of course, when things fell apart, then they became devoted members of the temple. So I guess, and also, maybe she didn't want to link back with 815 because she saw what happened to nearly everybody else who was in the back of the plane with her once they did that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ben Martell's theory is that Cindy wasn't kidnapped at all. She chose to go look for the others because she thought her fiancé, who is actually a stalker, Gary Troop, was probably at the main camp and she would rather do anything else but have to see him again. Yeah, so for those of you that might not know, so Gary Troop, who wrote... Bad Twin, who was the guy who got sucked into the engine, uh, one of the characters, I believe, is Cindy, is a flight attendant named Cindy. And I think reading between the lines, it's that he harbored a a crush on her that was very much unrequited. Yeah, uh, seems seems accurate. Uh, Good good reason for Cindy to dip out then. Uh, From Benji Holder, how did Claire get this far into having a baby, let alone her entire pregnancy, without hearing about swaddling? I mean, this has been talked about again and again. She was going to give Aaron away. Yeah, she, she, I, she didn't. She didn't think that she needed to know. This. I mean, I personally learned about swaddling by attending one of those baby preparation classes, and I can imagine that Claire was staying away from those. Uh, yeah. And I cannot imagine that Thomas was going to them. Yeah. Uh, Stefan asks, I've never understood the Locke and Claire relationship. I realize the significance it's going to play later, but during season two, it never made sense to me. They aren't overtly friendly or romantic or father-daughtery. So what is their relationship supposed to do other than be a foil for Charlie? I think Locke's just trying to be like, like Locke's whole thing is he wants to like activate people, right? He wants you to be your best self. Well, I think it's also this idea of comfort. You know, it's really shaking up the status quo of like, we love Charlie and Claire. They're very into each other. They find comfort in one another. That there are cracks. That there is trouble in paradise. And I think when nobody really seems to be helping Claire, 
Locke is the one person to do so. When Claire feels like she's abandoned, Locke is that person to offer a hand. And unlike Shannon, she does not bite that hand. She decides to take it. Like, I I can understand why we can't really put her in a silo of father-daughter or friends or romantic partners. I just think he's what she needs right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly more than Charlie right now. Yeah, considering that Charlie's sort of dealing with his own issues at the moment, and he's taking it out on Claire. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, some quick hits here. Uh, Curtis Morrison had written in, said that somebody in Ontario pushed the wrong button at a nuclear power plant, and it took 108 minutes to resolve. So I guess I think we found the hatch, is what Curtis oh says. Oh my God, there's a new hatch. Do you think, do you think <laughs> uh, a Hurley-like manager was standing around being like, no, 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 enter 32, it'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, Trent writes in and says, Josh, through your discussion, I think you discovered where your wedding ring went. One of your cats ate it. Um, oh, my Talk God. Talk about little turds. Uh, well, <laughs> well, I didn't have the cats yet when uh, my wedding ring went missing. And when, uh, when we got Dougie, uh, Dougie and Lola are the new kitties. Uh, the first night we had them, Dougie uh, had diarrhea right in front of me on my rug. Uh, and I didn't see a ring. So I, I think it's unlikely. Uh, that he that he ate it mm. yeah unless i don't know maybe it's become a part of him now it's possible uh benji holder says mr echo is the best person on this show don't at me does this qualify as adding you benji holder for shouting out that you said this uh and then preston ritter had wanted to write uh an alternate series bible entry for mr Echo. Ooh, i love these like the uh these dual series uh-huh. bible entries now we have multiple yes. translations of it yes yes so let's see let's see what uh preston ritter wrote a man of the cloth mr echo has not always been the most devout man of faith growing up orphaned poor and surrounded by crime lords in nigeria echo is no stranger to the harshness of life so even as a priest at the local church that raised them both he and his brother have participated in several criminal acts to protect their village and secure much-needed supplies. But his brother soon grew disillusioned with what they were doing and sought to devote himself truly to God, and so he was killed for it. Now on the run for, from the crime lords his brother betrayed, Echo seeks redemption for his criminal past and the death of his brother, and he may have found the one person on the island who can help him with that. John Locke! Oh, I like how you're saying that like the Super Friends announcer. Yeah, that's uh, like me doing like ghost voice. Meanwhile, in the hatch. Yeah, meanwhile in the hatch. Uh, What did we get from Jim Fells this week on the music analysis? Surprise, surprise, there's a Shannon theme. Uh, Mm. Interestingly enough, it actually shares a very prominent chord with life and death, which I guess is foreshadowing considering what happens to her and the death that surrounds her in her life, but yeah, that was that was mainly the main thing. Also, if you listen closely to the Taylor stuff, Giacchino was putting snatches of life and death in there to sort of fake out that Sawyer would be dying in this episode. Oh yeah, they, they sure fooled us. Even though he sees sort of on death's door at this point, and he will be for a little bit, even though Kate's going to heal him. Uh, it's actually interesting going back to the end of this episode. This is sort of the dark version of Kate and Sawyer seeing the black horse in the jungle, right? Mm, yeah, I can see that. Of like the, I'm seeing this thing and nobody believes me. Oh, wait, you see it too. So that makes me feel better. Yeah, there's no no smooches at the end of this episode, sadly. I mean, there was one between Said and Shannon, just unfortunately not at the very end. Yeah, I mean, there was, they really got it. Uh, a very significant physical connection, I think, is what went down between 
Sayid and Shannon. That night in the Love Shack had uh, literally eternal ramifications. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just very surprised that while they were away, another person in Shannon's life didn't die. So they come back tearfully and Jack has to tell them about it. All right, let's do the 23 points. MVPs and LVPs. Mike has three MVPs. I've got two. I've got three LVPs. Mike has two. Mike, kick us off. Who's getting your first MVP point? I'm going to give it to Shannon here. And, sure. And look, part yeah. of it is because this is really one of the final times we'll see her, especially in this corporeal being. But I thought this was an excellent episode for Maggie Grace. I think she became much more of a sympathetic character in this episode. And ultimately, she does go out being believed. And so, you know, it was truly a tour de force episode for her. Uh, Whether or not he's the best person on the show, don't at me. I think that he uh, proved himself to be one of the best people of the week, and that is Mr. Echo, who mm. is getting yet another MVP point this week uh, for deciding to, to cut through the jungle to save Sawyer's life. And let's give a point to the guy who constructed the stretcher to help save Sawyer's life. I'm going to give it to Michael. Uh, also, extra credit for him finally being able to ply information out of Anna Lucia, and also for, like, letting us get answers by literally stopping and being like, no, 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 I'm done with this BS. Let me know what's going on here, and I'm taking over this operation. Uh, all right, I will give another MVP point to John Locke, uh, who shows up with more wisdom of how to do a thing that nobody else seems to know how to do. He knows how to build a cradle, and he knows how to swaddle. And he also, I think, very deftly handles the Charlie and Claire drama. And now he's got his fingers on the pulse of what's going on with Charlie. So good for John Locke this week, uh, getting a, a real kickstart on that path. And good on him, you know, for being so hatch-obsessive. He's able to sort of pick his his, you know brain out of there for a second to help deal with this stuff and i have one more mvp point i'm gonna give it to saeed here now like part of it is out of sympathy because his girlfriend does die here but as i mentioned before i do feel like as much as he might misunderstand where shannon is coming from initially i do really think he's being supportive of her you know after all and the fact that he does serve uh you know as her savior or i guess as someone who believes her in her hour of need i think is very poignant yeah um, all right, LVPs, I've got three. Let me cut to the chase. All three going to Sabrina. Ooh, yes, I boy. know. I know Shannon dies in this episode, but I've already broken precedent. I didn't take a point away from Boone for dying. I'm not going to do that for Shannon. I'm now going to allow myself the possibility to take points away from main characters when they die, though. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like the, the Carlisle Rutherfords uh, deserve equal treatment on this front. And, and so she, no point being taken away from Shannon. she had enough trauma this episode. Yes, I agree. I agree. But Sabrina. Oh, Sabrina. I hate Sabrina so much. Uh, so three LVP points on Sabrina for being very, very cruel to Shannon. Uh, write in your defenses of Sabrina for next week's podcast and watch as I do not read them. Yeah, Brian Elwood looking at you. Uh <laughs> Yeah, you, Brian, you had a had a defensive uh, of Susan saying Susan was hip to the fact that Michael sucks really early on. Uh, and Brian said, and I recognize, uh, the, paraphrasing, Brian said something like, I recognize this makes me one of the bad Brians now. Brian, you're, you're a great Brian. You're a great Brian. Nothing you can say will, will change that. Well, let me throw one more Sabrina onto the pile here. And I was seriously debating and making a full five-point clean sweep for Sabrina in the first for the first time. But you know what? I, I, I feel like this is emblematic of Charlie in season two. I'm going to throw a point his way just because he's really showing how he's not treating Claire the best way. And the fact that he's also, you know, uh, trying to withhold information from everybody and clearly showing jealousy as well. It's, it's not going to be the worst we see Charlie this season, but far from the best. 
Sure, he deserves an LVP. I, w- I would have loved a clean sweep on Sabrina, but I totally understand the LVP on Charlie. Uh, here's the setting of the of the stakes here in, in the Season 2 rankings right now. Uh, Sabrina could have uh, been uh, the, the bottom anchor for Season 2 in the LVPs. Instead, is tied with Mr. Kim, uh, Jin's boss. They both are at the very bottom with negative four apiece, with Anson Mount, fiancé <laughs> douche, at negative three right above him. Uh, Mr. Echo is in the lead. Four MVP points, wow. and Saeed is now tied for second place with Kate, but Saeed is the overall leader of our MVPs if we are taking uh, the full show into account. Uh, 12 MVP points against Kate's 11 MVPs. Uh, we'll have the, we have the full accounting of Season 2's rankings in our show notes, and at the very end of the season, we will update the full thing so that everybody can see where we are at. In the spirit of that, Mike, let's get to the 4.2 stars rating section of the episode i'm gonna give abandoned a flat three Mm. i'm gonna give it a straight three i think the things that it does really well it does really well uh namely maggie grace is really really great as shannon um i think that they do make us feel really bad for shannon right as they get rid of her i do think that they make us see the potential in the character only to realize it was too late um to you know uh like we should have seen it earlier thankfully we i think really enjoyed our time with shannon here on lost while we had her on the podcast uh hopefully uh the uh the thirsty dog will will come along uh for the ride in some way shape or form uh, but i think like a solid 3 feels about right to me uh, for abandoned because it's otherwise like there's just some stuff that like it feels a little meandering at times mm. maybe a little slow um and i think just like compared to other episodes like this one um i think that this is maybe one of the weaker efforts right so i'm gonna get a smidge below your flat three and i guess i'll give a pointed 2.9 uh, actually the okay. episode that i would compare this the most to is homecoming which i gave a 2.8 which is like i feel like both are fine episodes that are uneven where yeah. there are really Cool, exciting moments. I, I cannot wax profane enough about the ending of Abandon, how much I love it. And I think we talked about how the characterization of Shannon is interesting. There's just overall some stuff that's spotty here and there. I I could really take or leave the Locke, Charlie, Claire plot, even if it does set up stuff down the line. And, you know, the Taylor stuff is interesting, and I appreciate how much it sets up the other 48 days, but... Overall, it's just a bit of a of a wandering through the jungle. So overall, I think it balances out to me to just a smidge below a three. All right, so I've got a three. Mike's got a 2.9. The audience has this at a 3.2, uh, so higher than both of us. Uh, I see it goes as low as a two. Uh, looking at the audience scores right now, uh, it goes as high as a four. Hmm. Uh, so that's the range, a two to four range uh, for Abandoned. That gets us at a 3.2. Uh, averaging all of those scores together leaves us with a 3.04. Uh, abandoned, just above Adrift as uh, the it, at the very bottom of season two thus far. So those rankings right now, Man of Science, Man of Faith is the leader. Orientation, ooh, and found. Everybody hates Hugo, Abandoned, and Adrift. That is the season two episode ranking as it currently stands. Um, I think we're going to get a shakeup in the ranking uh, fairly significantly coming very Mm. soon. As the other 48 days is our next episode of Lost. I think this is actually maybe a high variance episode. Uh, I can imagine the people who are going to say, like, this is one of the best episodes of the show. And then other people are going to be like, well, because the tailies don't matter that much. uh, Like, I'm just not really feeling it anymore. Yeah, yeah. That being said, 
we talked about Man of Science, Man of Faith, and Orientation being game-changing episodes. And I feel like no matter what you say, the other 48 days is up there as well. Correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, I believe these are our first on-island flashbacks. Uh, you know, we're seeing things from a different side of the island. Again, we got drips and drabs of the Tailey story, but to actually see it in person, I think it does a great job of furthering the mythos of the others, of what Anne Lucia is describing them as, as animals, but we get so much answered. We talked about how greatly vague the whole Goodwin thing is to finally have that answered in this episode. I just remember loving this episode at the time. I still think it's really well done. Sort of like Abandoned, I think we'll maybe talk about how in the long term, maybe it doesn't play as well considering we're getting to know characters, only one of which will last past season three. But I feel like as a general installment of Loss, it's such an interesting addition to the mythos. I'm excited. I'm really excited to get into it. That's going to be our next podcast. It's going to be dropping in your feed. March 13th, the other 48 days coming your way. Send your feedback in for that episode down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can tag us on Twitter at postshowrecaps, at roundhoward, at a Mike Bloom type. Subscribe to the podcast, postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch is the way to do that uh, for your Apple feed, but we're everywhere that we're everywhere that you could possibly think. We're on Spotify. We're, we're like plants growing in the jungle. We're everywhere. Uh, we're absolutely everywhere. Ratings and reviews, greatly appreciated. Uh, Mike and I were also, as we mentioned, uh, we were recently on Crazy Hank TV, talking Live Together, Die Alone. Uh, so check that out yeah. on YouTube. If you it was want, really, really fun. If you want a sneak peek as to us talking about the episode in July, uh, we, got, we got our first little taste here, a nice little warm-up. Is it going to be that long? Until I mean, we get to- we're 16 episodes from now. Oh, my God. I know. We got a lot of season two to get through, buddy. We've got a lot of lost in our future. What a great thing. I know. Uh, It's going to be really sad once, like, the balance shifts. I know. Once we get Uh, past that halfway point. Yeah, and that's when we're going to have to start figuring out how do we extend the lifespan of Down the Hatch beyond the rewatch, uh, because I will not be ready to let this go ever. (laughs) Never. Holding on to it tight. Yeah, by that point, maybe they will have announced the Lost reboot or the Lost sequel, though. So then we'll stick around for that. That's what we'll do. Yeah, it'll be a nice Uh, tie-in. Yeah, we'll just like throw the the alias rewatch. We'll just throw into the Down the Hatch feed. We'll just we'll we'll mix it up. We'll throw some Alcatraz in there, which actually I believe, uh, I think the writer of this episode, who might be the last solo writer of any Lost episode, I believe she was one of the- No way, really? Yeah, that's what I I read on Lostpedia. This is the last time we get a single writer for a Lost episode. But I believe she was the EP of Alcatraz. Uh, Elizabeth Sarnoff, who is uh, a really talented writer who's, uh, who's been credited with uh, a, a ton of stuff. Uh, I believe a, a frequent Damon Lindelof uh, collaborator, uh, but has written on NYPD Blue, Deadwood, mm-hmm. uh, just a, a, a ton of, of different material. On, but she wrote on Barry, uh, has, uh, which is a show <laughs> that I, I, I love very, very much. Uh, so a big fan of, of Liz Sarnoff. And this is her first episode of the whole show. Uh, but she's, uh, she's on board all the way through the rest of the line. Yeah, um, to the point where actually we're going to be talking about her in a month or so with the hunting party. She is uh, the co-writer of an episode of Lost that is uh, uh, credited as the worst episode of Lost by many people, Stranger in a Strange Land. Mm. Uh, she's also the co-writer of Two for the Road. Yes. Uh, so Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's some interesting stuff here. She did The Man Behind the Curtain. Uh, she did... She's great. Yeah, she, she's she great. did LaFleur... A lot, a lot of really fun Lost episodes go to Liz Sarnoff. So uh, really fun to finally talk about one of her episodes here. 
Uh, Mike, what else do you have going on? Pusha Recaps is very busy right now. I can tell you that. Yes. I know that you're, you're partly responsible for that. I, I have a little, bit of a, uh, a little bit of a hand in there. So yeah, Star Trek Picard is humming along. Myself and Jessica Lease are covering this. Emily and I are behind, but we've been trying to like watch at least like uh, one or two every week. Well, I was going to uh, say... So we're, we're getting close. We're, the time this is being released, Episode 7 will have just released, which is far and away my favorite episode of the, of the season, of the series... And I'm assuming might be a lot of other people's as well to quote the kids all the feels with Star Trek Picard episode seven. So I'm really excited to break all that down with Jessica Lee's also talking and writing about Australian Survivor and U.S. Survivor as well as island life gets rampant on so many pieces of pop culture. So be sure to check everything out that I'm doing on Parade, True Dark Times or just in the general ethos. Everywhere is content. Everywhere you look, you shall see content, much like, uh, I don't know, I was going to say more plants in the jungle, but we've really worn that. Whispers uh, in the jungle. Whispers in the jungle. Pusha recaps is hopping. Uh, It's not just down the hatch in Star Trek Picard. We've got a weekly Better Call Saul podcast, weekly Walking Dead, weekly Curb Your Enthusiasm, Westworld coming back. We're going to announce plans on that front in the not-too-distant future, uh, coming back March 15th. So uh, a lot happening here on Post Show Recaps. Uh, Wiggle Room still in effect over at RHAP for Survivor 40. Uh, had a very funny wand-off this past week. Laughed for a solid minute straight. Wow. It was a great, it was a great That's time. That's like 50 You're Thirsty Dog in a row. I know. <laughs> how many You're Thirsty Dogs did you laugh for? Uh, yeah, how long is a, is a You're Thirsty Dog? Can uh, we just hear you, it one I, more time and just get the official... Uh, uh, number on the field yeah you thirsty dog three seconds three so, seconds so okay. 20 you thirsty dogs <laughs> that's how long i laughed for <laughs> on the wand off this week a really really great time so check all of that out on pusher recaps and rob has a podcast we will be back next week with the other 48 days dropping in your feed on march 13th until then everybody take care goodbye Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three,